feel kind of bad. Why is that? Because to record this show, I have to turn off all of the things. And I had to uh, shut off Plex in uh, Spirited Away. Isn't that awful? I'm, I'm making my child be like me. Why, why is your life entangled in this way? <laughs> what, have you, what have you done? What have I done? What have I not done? What, what, how much nature nurture, John? You know, evolutionary biology. How did I get like this? So you're watching things at home being fed from hardware in your office? Mm, maybe. That seems non-ideal. Uh, I would like to hear about that. Why don't you have a thing in your house that serves movies that you watch in your house? Are you using Synology Fearplex? Yes. Hmm. I, can, and, I don't know. And, my, and the Mac in my house, both. But the, the, the video is stored in the Synology. Sometimes I, run, I use the Plex server that actually runs in the Synology, and sometimes I use the Plex server that runs on the iMac. That's the beauty part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, as you would expect from a character like me, I, I've done the basic configuration of my Synology. I've spent the most time like trying to secure it and do all that stuff, get everything updated. The 6.0 update, for some reason, I wasn't getting Plex again, either in community or... You know. Yeah, just go to the Plex site and download it. I'm not sure what the 6.0 uh, deal was, but I waited a while to upgrade because I heard there were some Plex issues, and then eventually I upgraded, and it was cranky about Plex. So just stop the Plex service on your Synology, and then go to the actual Plex.tv website. Download. Well, it's back up. It's it's working again. And my, my problem was that I was running into was some of the various um, media demons, DMI, that I was running uh, were being a little bit bulky. I was having trouble with, like, you know what? This is not interesting. Where do you Where do you... So, like, the, it comes with folders like video. And inside, in my mental model, inside of video, you usually have movies and TV. But, like, it seems to have some preferences. Different apps have different preference box based on, like, where you're trying to do stuff. Is that a thing? Like, it won't, like it won't let me point to something or, like, I don't know if the privileges are right or something like that. Yeah, I just stick, well, on my Synology, I stick with what the... All the video apps seem to want to do. Both the DS video app and Plex seem to look for their video in a thing called video that has movies and TV folders, and I generally don't fight that, and I just put the stuff yeah. there. Well, I, I for, the very first thing I did after I got it, you know, set up and running and mostly usable was to uh, just copy everything from the drive I usually use over to there, just to, you know, just to be safe. But no, something was hanging me up with the Plex on there. I don't remember what it was, but there was something with privileges, but... I don't know. I want to spend more time with it because, you know, obviously it's an investment. And um, I, I really like the idea of the thing. I just need to spend more time with it to get it right. There are a lot of weird options. I think I remember changing ownership on things and stuff when I got it set up. But that was so long ago. It's not like an ongoing maintenance issue for the most part. Like, I just, once it works, I haven't had to change anything about it. Uh, I even set one of my Plex things to just do auto auto updates of everything. Auto updates of all packages, auto updates of the entire OS itself. Yeah, I, Occasionally I, think, I get an email and it tells me it's updated. I'm like, all right, good. Yeah, I, I did that on all of them that I could, and I turned on, I flipped on the community one, so I get lots of good stuff in there. But yeah, yeah, I'll get to it, but it's the system mostly works. It's it's unusual that I'm doing something at work. You know, I don't know. You know how it is. I don't know if you're like this, but like when I record, I think I'm, maybe you're like this, but you're, I know John Roderick is not like this. I turn off everything. I turn off Dropbox. I turn off... Uh, all of the various demon-ish things. I don't know what you call it. The, you know, things that do things. All downloady things. I quit Google Photos. I do everything that I can think of that might take bandwidth. 
And then I have a folder full of aliases for restarting them after a podcast. Yeah, I do. I do a stop time machine, quit Dropbox, which is all kind of silly because I'm doing that on this computer. I mean, it's not, it's half silly. One reason I'm doing this computer is I'm still living in the ancient mindset of like, oh, maybe if things are messing with the disk, somehow my recording won't have enough disk IO to write out to my spinning disk. But I have a SSD now, so it's kind of pointless and I'm sure it's fine. Uh, but the other silly part of it is that there are other computers in this house that I'm not going around to and turning off stuff. So for all I know, my wife's iMac is backing up right now and using a lot of bandwidth. But yeah, anyway. like like turning on photos and doing there's those things where you don't really know when it's going to grab. Yeah, and I'm not turning them off on her computer, so hers could be doing it. anyway. I turn it off on mine. Yeah, so I you know to, to go back to the rational and superstition thing, like I, it's not it's not entirely rational. I don't think. It's just, it's another one of those things. Like for years, I would always do that checklist of things before I updated, you know, OS X. And like with this, I just feel like, okay, for example, today, Dan and I recorded, as we record this on uh, April 26th, Dan and I recorded back to work. And we had, we've had such a great run for like, I don't know, 10 weeks. Skype has been great. The internet has been great. And today was just a mess. And it's, I just feel like I want to always isolate everything that could be causing a problem so I can, at least in my mind, mostly know that it's not these other things that could potentially cause it. Yeah. So it's why you don't give passwords to people, you know? I'd say people, people are weird about this, but like, I, I'm, I'm really strange about like who... I think, I think it's weird how other people are like, oh yeah, here's the password to that. It's the same password as all my passwords. And I'm like, That's, that is so bananas. You know, it's like when people do stuff like that, like, no, like, because the problem is now, if anything goes wrong your mind is going to be casting about for all the people that had that password. You know what I mean? Everybody, you're giving them plausible deniability by never having given them something that could be abused even accidentally. Yeah, that's what normal people do, and they don't care. <sighs> and then most of them get by like that just fine. I think I told you about this a few years ago. Remember there's the big hack on iTunes? Remember the big hack? Where everybody's, oh, I, I don't actually. There's a big. Um, ha- I'm, I'm doing that in my uh, sister-in-law's voice because that's the conversation we I, had. You're trying. Are you going for the Midwestern thing? I don't know what it is. She's she's from Rhode hack. Island. Hack. hack. No, you're she's not. Like, no, Merlin, 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 Merlin. I got hacked. I'm like, what, 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 Bonnie? <laughs> how'd you get hacked? Like, yeah, I got hacked. I was like, how'd you get hacked? I got hacked on iTunes. And of course, it turned <laughs> turned out. I can't believe this is allowed. Her username and her password were the same. Yeah, it's not allowed anymore. I think. Did you know you can set? no password for an admin there was a time when you could set no password for an admin account on a mac you still can that is not through the gui but like that's the unix tradition not having a password it's a fundamental right of users on unix systems uh i have a war story about that happened to a friend of mine where uh yeah basically her laptop got stolen and she did not have a password on her account at all which is just seems so weird to me. Doesn't matter if someone gets your laptop, they've got your stuff, whether yeah. you have a password or not. The, the disk encryption, disk level encryption stuff has come a long way, hasn't it? Yeah, but even that, I feel like you probably have a crappy password. <laughs> they just yeah. it's just only a matter of time before they crack it. But you know, latch the screen door, I say. So you know, in fairness, I just want to say, like for a long time, we had watched a bunch of what have we seen? All the majors, we've all all the major Miyazakis. We've seen. We started with Totoro. Uh, we did Ponyo, Nausicaa, Princess Mononoke, Porco Rosso, however it's pronounced. Uh, Kiki. The cas- Kiki, duh, Kiki. Castle Castellino. Uh, <laughs> Cagliostro? Castle uh, Yeah, that's the one. Uh, that's the other yeah. one. That's a spicy meatball boss. <laughs> um, 
And uh, and then at one point, uh, you know, she was probably too young for it, but we we put on Spirited Away. She's probably three, yeah. and it you know, it's got some intensity to it. It's got some real good creepiness. Um, but when she got to the scene with the parents eating, when she was three or four, like that, oh, that's it. Shut it down. So pretty early too. It gets worse. It gets it gets pretty weird, but you know what? She's eight now, and this weekend we watched it all the way through, and she she loved it in a way that she has not loved a movie in a while. You know who she loves? She loves the chickens. She loves the little chickens with the washcloths on their head. I showed my daughter Spirited Away very early uh, as well, and she was scared by it, and she's the same age as your daughter. Uh, in fact, just turned nine. Uh, she still refuses to watch it. You know, it, it makes an impression. It really does. Mm-hmm. She she saw most of the most of the way through. She didn't stop at the parents eating. That is such a good movie, and it is so freaking weird. What an imagination it takes to make a movie like that. What about Whisper of the Heart? Have you watched that one? Too? No, I don't know that one at all. Why do you not? Know? How do you not? The how? How does this happen? Is that a Ghibli or in general or a Miyazaki in? Yeah, it's actually particular. a Ghibli, but yeah. So the, just what's how? it called? Whisper what? Whisper of the Heart. I've mentioned it a million times on podcasts I know you've listened to. I don't, I'm not familiar with your to. work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so write it down. 1995. It says here it's a Studio Ghibli. Ghibli. Studio Ghibli and... Uh, <laughs> it's like uh, Gift Jeff. Hayao uh, Miyazaki worked on the uh-huh. screenplay, looks like. It's got Take Me Home Country Roads in it. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll add it to the dingus. How, how have you not seen that one? It's perfect for, for your daughter's just the right age. Hmm, hmm. Hmm. Prob- probably just the right age. We haven't watched the um, the grown-up flying one yet. Like, they're all the flying one, but we haven't oh, watched the plane uh, yeah. one yet. The, the wind rises, yeah. That's pretty serious, right? I saw it with my son. It made an impression on him. I don't know yet. It's, it's probably not for an eight-year-old, but I don't know. Watch it yourself and see what you think. I will. I will. What else did we like? Did you ever, did you ever go back and watch um, Panda Copanda? Uh, the one with the, the big furry creatures with the big balls? Hmm. Uh, it's the one. It's like obviously, like from it's from like what seventy two, seventy four, and it's I think maybe animated by Miyazaki, and it's 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 like about the quality of a Hanna Barbera cartoon, but it's got these really cute pandas in it, a big panda and a little panda, and they keep this little girl company. But it's got all the hallmarks. It's like this little girl's family has gone away <laughs> and left her alone, and she has these two pandas come and live with her. It's it's a little bit obscure, but it's it's pretty cute. Uh, Future Boy Conan is actually pretty good, but it's hard uh, to find. And Future I don't know the... Boy Conan? Yeah. Okay. It's a really early uh, Miyazaki-Takahata joint. Oh, yeah. It's Panda very... It's, you, mentioned, you mentioned it like Hanna-Barbera. Like, you'll see. It's like that type of Saturday morning cartoon, but... Yeah, big eyes and spiky hair. It looks Japanese. Yeah. Panda Copanda. Very catchy. Anyway, so... Uh, but we have seen it all the way through, so that's good. I think there's one piece of follow-up we should definitely cover, unless you disagree. Note from listener Judd regarding the ownership of the Star Wars original trilogy. I thought we'd mentioned that on past shows, but maybe not. I don't know, but can you? Uh, did you have a chance to look at that email? Yeah, I, well, I... You're familiar, you're familiar with the idea. I, yeah, so the, the, the issue that many people bring up is that Fox still has lots of rights to the original Star Wars, specifically either indefinitely or uh, until a certain date. Um, and, yeah, this is something that always comes up when we discuss whether they're ever going to release the original Star Wars trilogy in the original form. It's like, oh, well, you know, Disney bought out Lucasfilm, but they didn't, you know, Fox still has the distribution rights to X, Y, and Z. It's like, I don't care. That'll get worked out. Like, money will change hands. Like, that's all. It's just, it's a simple matter of money. And hmm. um, 
I'm if if the entire project is financially feasible, these two big corporations will work out a way that they can agree to, you know, whatever whatever money has to change hands, whatever profit sharing has to happen, or whatever. Uh, I, I fully believe that that is completely within the realm of things. I mean, for for, for goodness sake, Lucasfilm itself got bought by Disney, like whole hog, all of Star Wars intellectual property got bought by another company. It doesn't it doesn't benefit anybody for that stuff to just sit there. Yeah, so like that deal was so much more giant and important and uh, implausible than working out a deal with Fox to you know. So I, I think that is not a stumbling block at all. That's like if they decide to do the project, then they enter into the notice of negotiations and they'll find a way out of it cuz those companies aren't dummies. They're not going to prevent each other. I don't think it's like a grudge match like Fantastic 4 and uh and Fox and Marvel and stuff. Right. Um, yeah, that, that stuff's so ugly. But, yeah, think about, you know, the, uh, the Spider-Man conversation. It's nice that that finally happened, you know? It doesn't make sense for... Right. Uh, yeah. So, I, I, it doesn't, that doesn't bother me. I don't dwell on it, and I believe it will, it will work out. And every, everyone will come out a winner in that. It's not, it's not as if there'll be some loser and Fox will be like, oh, I don't want to do any deal at all, because later on we're going to... Our distribution rights are so important and such an important source of income, even though you own Disney, own the rest of Star Wars. Like, they'll, they'll work something out. It'll be fine. So the stuff with Marvel and Fox is so ugly. It's so ugly. I mean, I don't know how much you follow this stuff, but it's led to. I mean, it's at this point, it's it's not even a secret. It's kind of a public thing where the properties that for which Marvel does not own the cinematic rights, they kind of just stop doing the comic. I mean, Wolverine. Yeah, it's just ter- terribly spiteful, stupid, short-sighted. Yeah, like I mean, they're an ahistorical. I mean, it's 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 so gross. What a what a grudge. I mean, my God. I mean, and it's another situation where you guys can both be winners. You can just work something out. It's not it's not one of you doesn't have to lose for the other one to win. You can both make money because we are the you know the audience is the source of the money. All you're arguing over is how much of which money flows to which person, and you can work that out. But the point is, money will be flowing from customers into both of you in varying mm-hmm. amounts. When you fight. No money flows. When you make bad movies, no money flows. So mm. it's silly. That's a tragedy. Uh, thank you to listener Judd for sending that along. Do you want to talk about your 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 visit to just? I know you've talked about this a little bit on ATP. Do you want to talk a little bit about visit to uh, San Francisco? Sure, it's that place where you live. Um, ding and, ding. And I went there, and there was stuff there, and I did touristy things, which I generally don't like to do. You're really good uh, at this. You yeah. went on a boat. You. Um, well, I mean, I was just going to mention in passing, we got a chance to hang out, which is nice. But I, 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 the same week, I think, you and I both got to meet Todd. Yeah, and then John Roderick showed up when I left. Oh, interesting. He's a, a trailing economic indicator. Mm-hmm. So you got to meet Todd. Yeah, we both did on, on separate occasions. Yeah, within like three days. But that, isn't he? He's a cool guy. Yeah, no, like like my visit with you, uh, all too short. But, you know, people, people got to work. Not everyone's on vacation all the time in California like me. Fancy John Syracuse. I was really happy. Todd had me over for lunch at ILM. I finally got to meet him and, uh, you know, look around at stuff. I'd done that tour before, but it's always fun. Even just hanging out. I think you were in the lobby, right? You got, But you got to see some of the cool stuff out there. Yep. That was yeah. fun. I, I would love to hang out more with either one of you. My favorite part in some ways of the tour, I think my favorite part be- became my favorite part because of Todd and his enthusiasm for one thing, which was... A dinosaur. Do you know the story of the dinosaur they made for Jurassic Park, where there was this desire to make everything totally CG, 
And then there was this desire over here to say, hey, look, we got to get this thing done. We got to do this with stop motion. And long story short, they basically, they made this little, like, not an armature, but what do you call it? Like a, it, but it was basically like a, a dinosaur that they could manipulate and have it coordinate with the camera and the computer such that it could do stop animation that could be like CGI. It's like the ultimate like crossover between those two technologies. But what scenes was that used in? Was it used for the velociraptors in the kitchen? What, I'm trying to think of what, what did it look like. I think he said the, uh, I think this is public, but like, I think the only like 100% CG stuff was the like, what are all the ones that run around in fields? Is that the velociraptors? No, those were the little, uh, the little ostrichy looking things that, yeah, uh, I forget what the name of those. Well, I don't, I don't remember enough to say it correctly, but one of my favorite parts of that is getting to see like the, the models, you know, getting to see the models for stuff from like Galaxy Quest, those two big ships, mm-hmm. and just to see them up close, to see the boat from, uh, which is in terrible condition, the boat from like Cocoon, but just to see like the excruciating amount of seemingly unnecessary detail. You talk about this a lot on the incomparable, like set dressing in the 1970s that was never meant to even be like 480. P, right. let alone you know 4k where you can see that's actually a cardboard box or whatever but it's so neat to see that stuff up close and just see the like the craftsmanship that went into this particular little dent and the way that they painted it on this one thing this thing would be in a shot for like seconds it's it's so amazing to see that stuff yeah i think it's also really weird that that whole industry like when i was a kid reading books about ilm it was all about the models man it was about blue screens and models and motion control cameras and and it seemed like everything does when you're a kid. It seems to stretch out. It's like, this is what special effects means. Special effects means people make really cool models and they put them in front of blue screens and they have computer controlled cameras and they do optical compositing. And for most of my childhood, it was that, but better and better and more layers and more complicated moves and more detailed models and better lighting and better matting and so on and so forth. And you could just see, you know, this whole industry of people whose pictures I saw when they were you know, young kids in the 70s and the making of Star Wars books with their floppy hair in California and everything. Um, and they would get older and uh, and it would be references back to, uh, what's his name? Uh, Harryhausen? Yeah, Ray uh, Harryhausen. Yeah, yeah, like that. Like, oh, he was the pioneer and now look at these guys really taking to the next level. And then like that whole industry, it was still called Industrial Light and Magic and it was still called Special Effects, but changed completely over to computers. Like, right, I mean, right. not, 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 not completely, the, but yeah. almost completely M- paintings on glass. Not really a thing that much. Some anymore. of the mats, like seeing the matte painting for the last shot in die hard Two, It's extraordinary. The amount of detail and like where they choose, like, you know, they have a limited budget. So the center of this thing has to mm-hmm. be like perfect. The way they cut in photographs for this part around paintings for this part. And you stand three feet from this thing and it looks, it looks like a photo. And then yeah. you look up close and you're like, it's, it's like pointillism. It's just, it's gorgeous. And the little, the little blank spots and they would project the film through the little blank spot on the glass. It's uh, like King painting. Kong style. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then film the entire painting plus the little spot. It was, it, but that all Oh, I know changed. what you're talking about where you see like, yeah, no, Todd showed me one that's like, it looks it, from 15 feet away. It looks like just a black canvas. You get up close and you see that it's actually like a dark cityscape, but they illuminated it from behind. Do you know about yeah, this? Or, or, or when they leave out, like what I'm thinking of is like, a I don't know, and uh uh, what do you call it? Temple of Doom, where they run running through a cave and they, and they come to an opening in the cave, but turns out it's an opening in a cliff wall, and they're like, "Whoa, we don't want to go down the cliff!" And like they have the shot from the cliff, and the cliff is a giant painting, but there's a part of the glass that is not painted that is entirely transparent, and they project the live action film that they film <sighs> through the little so space. Cool, that and then so they film magic. the entire other thing. But but I was like. All these craftspeople who know how to do all these things, who know how to do optical compositing and know how to do paintings on glass and make models and motion control cameras, 
that just disappeared and it didn't ha- it didn't happen overnight but it happened really fast like that we're not you know spaceship models we're not really interested in anybody who's good at making or filming spaceship models anymore because computers are really good at doing like rigid body things in space with a black background so not a lot of call for that anymore uh and the paintings on glass turns out computers are really good at taking 2d images and compositing them so not a lot of call for that but those are highly skilled like you know they're probably like the nba stars of their day it's like you would take someone off the street and say paint something to look realistic on film and there's a glass surface in a way that we can project things like they're they were like the professional athletes of the day and then suddenly it was like your skills are no longer required well a lot um, of them did transition like, yeah like Phil Tippett and stuff like Phil Tippett's the stop action guy right yeah like uh, again stop action i mean the stop action is still a thing like you know wallace and gromit or Coraline or whatever but it became like it is a you know, not retro, but it is a, an aesthetic uh, uh, of its own and is a separate thing, or a fantastic Mr. Fox, for that matter. Yeah. Um, so those things still exist, but it used to be that the the world of special effects was people doing all those jobs. And the top, top, top of those things, you know, Dennis Muren and, and Phil Tippett, continued on just because at a certain point your skill set is not like the guy who's down in the trenches, but you understand, like, big picture-wise, right? But there are lots of people who worked on that stuff. You know, there's, there's armies of people whose skills were basically no longer required and yet the industry as far as the viewer is concerned is still make fantastical things on screen that never existed and for the most part the the industry survived that transition and did like i mean even to the point where you know industrial light and magic is is still the same company they didn't go out of business and were replaced by somebody who understood computers right industrial light and magic were at the forefront of understanding computers because their mission has always not been about uh making a great place for model makers to work but rather you know realizing the director's vision blah 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 um but it, if, if you think about that in terms of any uh, any other industry that we're familiar with like if computers were suddenly replaced by like organic things that grow in jars look like little plants right you would imagine that existing computer companies would be disrupted as they say by the plants and jars people rather than themselves you know transitioning or like I don't know, like the horse and buggy people in cars or whatever you want to think of, but uh, special effects seem to, uh, you know, or a few of the big names at least survived and the industry as a whole, there's some continuity in there. It's like uh, before we made models and now we do stuff on computers, but we're still special effects. Um, I, I find that fascinating. And that, especially when you're going through, you know, like you said, done the tour, looking at models and stuff that are not part of what ilm does today like they would never make that big galaxy quest ship they would just do it in the computer like like they made it, they made a red october i mean they they, they made oh, so many of the models that you see they were that was not a computer effect somebody I, made an incredibly detailed model of that thing and that was the, the not not only the only way to do it but also the best way to do it even when computers could sort of do it a little in the beginning they were so crappy it's like well if you want to look good we really have to make a model and then like within a year or two it's like actually you'll never make a model that can do what these computer things can do. And then at this point, many, many years down the line, we're at the point where you can't even make a model look this good. Like even just in a static shot, there is no model you can construct that would look as good as this thing I can make in the computer if given equal amounts of time. Well, at the risk of talking uh, beyond my expertise, there's an interest. I mean, I feel like there's also an interesting problem though with, you know, uh, somebody who builds bridges versus somebody who builds software, right? Like, you know, I'm I realizing I'm being a little glib here, but you know, in the, in the whole idea of building a bridge, you understand that that's an incredibly complicated process with gateways, and even a civilian 
and a novice would understand that there's we get to this certain point like to keep this project on time we have to sign off on this you know there's dependencies you got to sign off here a month later we have to sign off here and there's once we hit that gateway there's no going back but like apparently one concern is that when it comes to things like cgi you can put off making those decisions for longer than anybody would like and then that leads to these incredible time crunches at the back end well, I don't know. It's it's a little bit, yeah, like more capabilities equals, you know, more potential flexibility in scheduling means more more actual changes because you can, you can I think it's easier to hold the line when you sort of have the physical world uh, mandated waterfall model. It's like, well, you got to make the molds and then you pour the stuff into the molds and then you right. get the stuff out and then and that's, a, that's a process. And there's hard and fast things to take there, and there's sort of a pipeline. And if you don't like it, you can't just take the finished, you know, prosthetic and enlarge it by five percent. On a computer, you can't. Right, uh, right, right. In the physical world, you got to go back to the beginning. You got to make new molds. You got to fill the new molds. You got to take the stuff out. You got to paint it and put the little fur on it. Whatever you're gonna have to do. And I think it's easier to hold the line on like, well, you got to do that. And, and there's the same pipeline in computer special effects, but because. Fewer things are unchangeable in the sense of, like, here's a physical object that exists in the world and you can't make it 5% bigger by magic. Since fewer things are unchangeable, um, yeah, I can, I can imagine there is the, the potential for requesting more changes, later changes. Um, and it's, you know, it's like the difference between digital and, and the analog world. Most analog physical things, the more you mess with them, they, they wear out, they sustain damage or whatever. Whereas digital stuff, you can add and erase and add and erase over and over again, and you never wear through the paper. It's the magic of digital, the curse of digital. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the book. I want to. See, I don't think it was, was – I feel like it was Steve McConnell. I, it might have been Code Complete, maybe Rapid Development. But so anyway, I remember reading in one of those books back in the day talking about like, you know – getting to where like certain kinds of decisions, the decision that you make in this 20% of the project costs a certain amount, you know, to change this, you know, this kind of decision at this point in the 20th percentile costs you this much, that kind of, that similar kind of change when you get to the 60th or 80th percentile could be like what five to a hundred times more costly. Right. I mean, even, even more, especially with software and, you know, just because it's digital doesn't mean we just buy more Lego bits and snap them together. There's just, I don't know. Well, I think the 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 trap of digital stuff is, like I said, because you you will never wear through the paper by erasing too much in a particular area. Is that forever until the final thing? You can have George Lucas over your shoulder saying, "If that guy came into frame a second later, or I actually like the guy's face in this this take, but I like his body in this take. Can we take his face from this take and his body?" It's like, well, mm-hmm. we could. can. <laughs> we can if you have more money and more time. Um, we can do that, and it's like it's never there. The physical constraints of film are, you know, everything is up for grabs. If you don't like something and you don't have time to reshoot it because it was shot on a physical set or whatever, but you do have a bunch of raw footage, can you do something to make a change? Otherwise, like no one, you know, uh, Francis Ford Coppola isn't looking at the the Godfather rushes and being like, I would like it if that if that character wasn't in the scene. Can we get rid of him? Like they're you know he's you filmed him. He's there. Right. Uh, you either use that take or you don't. But with digital, it's like nah, we can. Yeah, pretty much. Like almost anything is possible. It's just a two D image. We can do lots of stuff. Um, and that's that's a trap for everybody involved. So so in the run up to um, the Game of Thrones premiere on Sunday, I went back and watched the previous episode, the end of season five. So you do you watch that show? Wait, I do. You do. Favorite. Okay, I thought you did. Yeah. Um, 
So in the kind of famous scene in that episode, there's a character um, that has to do extensive nudity. Now, did I hear correctly that to do that, they basically had a body double and like they they CGI her face onto that body? I think that's what I heard. You know the scene I'm talking about. Yeah, they've been doing that. I mean, body doubles have been a thing forever, but usually it was like, well, obviously... Yeah, like they, clean, they, they, like they, they clean that up double. in Blade Runner. They clean that up big time. And plus Blade Runner, you can tell that when What's-Her-Head goes flying through the window, it's obviously a dude. Right, so, or even just like you see them from the back, or like it's the same thing they always do with stunt people. Suddenly the, the stunt person's face is obscured by a big head of hair that happens to be flopping, and their face is not facing the camera for, you know, like... I, but I'm just saying, like, I, I've heard people say they can see the scenes, but I was pretty blown away by that. That looked, that looked super real to me. Yeah, I was I was impressed by it. I mean, like they as far as TV effects go, Game of Thrones is usually pretty good. Um, but that's you know that's the magic of television is you can you know if if the actor doesn't want to have a nude scene, but the character is supposed to be nude, we can do, right. we can accommodate that. Hmm. She's a good character. So anyway, nice to meet Todd. Nice to hang out there. And you know, and I, I guess I feel like particularly because of people like Todd, I feel like I'm get, I've gotten such an education in the last year or two. You know about you know everybody always likes to say that cgi is ruining movies and stuff like that which is it's such a strange thing to say you know it's i don't know it's it's like saying like salt is ruining food or something you know it's it's like it doesn't even really make any sense but with that said it was really neat to get to see that well i mean one more thought on this and you tell me if you think this makes sense but like with ilm it seems like they started with people this is very general but they started with like movie artists who had the tech expertise to make these models for movies. Whereas like with Pixar, wasn't it kind of the reverse? Like Pixar started out more as a technology company, right? I mean, wasn't it more about the technology before the artistry became the central piece? Well, I think first of all, the, the like Ed Catmull, you know, Oh, he's the tech guy, right? Like he's the inventor of texture mapping. He's a super nerd. He, you know, is a, a pioneer in computer graphics or whatever. I'm pretty sure he can also kind of draw not mm-hmm. that I'm saying he's an artistic genius, but I feel like there's a, there's a bent that you have to have to even be interested in that thing. Like his dream was to make a you know a completely uh, computer animated feature length movie. Um, but Pixar doesn't happen if you don't bring in John Lasseter, who was the creative talent. So you got tech guy Cat you got the right, right. creative guy Lasseter, and they're making these little tech demos for SIGGRAPH, which is a tra- trade show for. Computer and wasn't graphics. it mostly to sell their software? Or just, I mean, like, again, Ed Catmull's whole big thing for his entire life is I'm going to make a feature-length computer animated movie or I want that to be a thing that exists. And, you know, and he probably knows that he's not going to make the movie himself, but this is a, a stepping stone along the way. And all of it was like, well, we can sell this imaging computer to big companies. We can sell this computer for inking animation cells to Disney. And they were never quite sure what exactly they were doing, but these little animated videos you could say they were probably to try to sell their hardware and software, but John Lasseter was not interested in selling hardware or software. He wanted to make things that entertain people. He had worked at Disney as an animator. Like, there's no confusion right. in John Lasseter's mind about what he's doing. He is not the marketing department for the Pixar image computer. He is, he's, he's not, the, like, the sales engineer. <laughs> right. He yeah. He's a creative person. He wants to do great things. And I think Steve Jobs had gone in several different directions on this once he saw the reaction of, like, we make this creative thing that that people, you know, viscerally react to. We make entertainment that they connect with. Um, and you know, 
you know what he was like. We all know Steve, right? We were close parental friends. Mm-hmm. Um, Home Steve, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that's just catnip to him. It's like you know, it's it's a it's a form of uh, of form of power. Uh, you know, a, a form of magic. It's the same type of things that he loved about Apple products. It's like, well, we can make. You know, and he saw what is that thing that we're doing? Well, you know, John Lasseter plus technology equals, uh, you know, the ability to touch people. And so then it was, I think, whoever floated the idea for the umpteenth time, you know, it'd be nice to make a, a computer animated feature film. Is that the thing we want to do? It's like, yes, full steam ahead. That's what we're going to do. We can, if we can get funding for it, let's just go. And they did that. And it was Toy Story and the rest is history. And it's just a series of getting creative people and giving them technology to tell their stories. And, you know, it's conceivable that all the same tor- stories that Pixar has told could have been told in traditional 2D animation, which is where John Lasseter came from. Uh, but that's not how the story turned out. It was a combination of the two. One, you know, on one side you have the vision to, why, why do you care? Like a feature-length computer animated film. Why, why, why don't you just want to make a feature film? Why does that have to be computer animated? Why do you care? Because that's what he wanted to do. Because he understand understood the problems inherent in computer graphics and the promise that they offered. Uh, and a milestone, a nice milestone, a nice goal is we'll know we've arrived when we can make an entire movie with nothing real on the screen, all on the computer. Um, and that will be an important milestone on our road to having the creative freedom to put images on screen, like whatever you can think of, we can put on screen, working all the way up to, uh, you know, photorealistic. It's only, it's only a matter of time before people can make entire movies uh, without filming anything. Like, you know, photorealistic movies with, with you know, human actors, right? And human actors would give performances, but they would never actually be on camera. There would, would be no camera. It would be all on the computer. Like, that will probably happen in a lifetime. They'll probably get close to it, uh, especially for, like, just short tech demo type things. Um, why do you want to do that? Well, it's the same reason people want to do anything. It's like they're probably trying to catch up to authors. Authors can, can do anything because it's just words on the page and it all happens in your mind, right? So... There are no limits to what authors can... If they can imagine it, they can write it. Um, and filmmakers are very close to if they can imagine it, they can film it if they have enough money. There are some still some limitations, but they're small. And uh, eventually, I think, it really will be at the point which many directors say now is like, if I can dream it, uh, I can I can put it on the screen. Right. Uh, we're pretty close now, um, but we'll be a lot closer in another 50 years or so. And who wouldn't want that? Because mm. uh, those authors have it pretty good. Yeah, I want to talk about Avatar sometime. I'm looking at the page for um, the Pixar short movies, and it's in retrospect. I, I feel like Tin Toy. I'll put this in uh, the robot. I feel like Tin Toy was the first time I remember, like, thinking about like you know Pixar as a thing. And I'm looking here. So like Andre and Wally B. That's 1984. Luxo, Junior 86, Red's Dream, Tin Toy, 88. I feel like I feel like Jerry's Game is the first one of the shorts that I can look at and go like unimpeachably like this is not only like amazing as you know the the technology behind it but like it's a good it's a good story too. I mean the other ones are like kind of cute but I feel like Jerry's Game is kind of where it got really good. But you have to you have to remember that the other the other silly ones that look like like whatever, who cares? Um, that weird know, diaper, like, that weird diaper on the baby. Yeah, Ugh. like Tin Toy or the the Luxo Junior light bouncing around, or the Wally B one with the, with the the Bumblebee and stuff. It's like you see, look at that, and you're like, that's not Pixar, that's nothing. But remember, these are, are shown. Some of the early ones were shown at SIGGRAPH, SIGGRAPH conference right. for like, here's the amazing images we can put in a computer. So like, lots of fractal mountains and. 
the water, leaves, si- water simulations leaves, yeah. and ray traces of uh, of reflective uh, shiny balls floating over checkerboard patterns, and also that's the stage things were at that point. And this was a demonstration of all sorts of interesting technical things too. But if you spend your entire time looking at uh, ray trace balls floating over checkerboards, uh, <laughs> and you see any kind of like actual animation of you know characters expressing something you know no real dialogue no voice acting but just like you know animation or just basic animation it's like a cartoon you get wrapped up in it because it's entertaining and it's interesting and then you would the secondarily be wrapped up and it's like they're demonstrating this you know subdivision surfaces or whatever the things they're trying to show and they're demonstrating it in you say look if you have this you can do this Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like those demos where like you see something on television and it's like, just try this, our product and you'll be able to do this amazing thing. And they're entirely separate. It's like, well, the product is the product. It's like, it's like demoing a pencil by having a great <laughs> it's like artist. A, it's like a, a serving suggestion. <laughs> no, it's like demoing a pencil and saying, if you buy this pencil, look what oh, you right. can draw. Yeah. And the artist yeah. throws this amazing picture. It's like, wow, I got to get that pencil. It's like, you're misunderstanding. <laughs> like the pencil doesn't do that. You but see. I'm like, I mean, I'm, 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 you know, I'm trying to grade on that curve. I mean, they're not bad or anything, but, but like, but, I feel but, like. But like there was, there was nothing like them. No one was doing anything like that with computers. Like, sure, right. people do two D. Right, right. Those are just cartoons. Who cares? Like, you know, Walt, Walt Disney. Like, yeah, it's amazing animation. But that's a bunch of people with, uh, you know. And so, I feel like in the context of a tech conference about computer graphics, it stands out in a way that it wouldn't if it was in a conference about two D animation. Because they'd be like, oh, well, whatever. Well, I can do all that with a pencil, so I don't really care why you're here. So, I think that's why those were so important and why you know why any of this ball started rolling because i feel like if they if pixar had been trying to sell its stuff uh at you know at a conference for 2d animators like hey all you people using pencil and ink uh and tracing paper and taking photos of your drawings one after the other um we have a new way for you to do animation it's with computers and take a look at this and you show these same demos they would be like that is clunky animation and that does not look particularly good and i could draw something better go away but because they weren't selling those because because they were trying to sell pixar image computers uh and they were at the other conference with the computer nerds suddenly they're the bell of the ball and everybody loves them yeah no i i I get it the only reason i mentioned that was i mean we've watched those all of these so many times i have some personal favorites here's the one's blowing me away though just looking at this page um is it Jerry's game? You know, that, that's the first one of them I feel like that looks like fairly modern. And all I'm trying to deal my only point I wanted to make was that according to Wikipedia, uh, Jerry's game was 1997 and for the birds was 2000. They went from the look of Jerry's game to the look of for the birds in three years. Yeah. And you I, look I mean, at the movies they go along with. And like, if you've ever seen a history of Pixar and like pick which each movie, each step along the way, what is the mate? What was the major technical challenge of this movie? Right. And it's like, yeah, well, Incredibles, like now we can do water and hair. Right. And the bug's life was translucency because they had to have the light shining through all the leaves and everything. Uh, and so the I plants, think the look- plants look amazing in that movie. I mean, we still go back to that and I always enjoy it more than I expect. It's not one of my favorites, but my daughter loved it when she was little and I'm still like the opening and closing shots of the, like the nature stuff. It, it's still pretty extraordinary. Yeah. And that's why I feel like if you go from like toy story and again, and, you know, the smart people intentionally pick because it's got a bunch of rigid body things that don't squish too much. They're, that, toys, they're shiny. They're, they're plastic. <laughs> they're shiny. We, that's the thing they can do. A bugs Life was a, a big ramp up to a much more natural thing, but bugs in the end are mostly hard and shiny too, so you can kind of get away with that, but they have the translucency. But yeah, if you go look at For the Birds and just how much 
how much softer everything looks and how it doesn't look so... There's plasticity. There's plasticity to everything. It's so much personality. I mean, they're just showing off. Like each bird having like a like little personality. There's so much physics in that that's entirely sensible. I mean, you know, just knowing the tiny bit I know about animation, I can watch that and go, wow, this must have been just a huge leap forward for the time. And, you know, another one. So like, what's the other one? So Jerry's Game for the Birds... There's some other ones. What do you, do you have a favorite? Just out of curiosity, do you have a favorite uh, Pixar short? I like, I like La Luna. I like the the one with the moon. Really? The, the little. I do like that one. What about Lava? You like Lava? Eh, Lava's not my cup of tea. I appreciate I, I lava, lava. I love you. Technically, it. I know. It, <laughs> here's the thing about the Lava one. I try. I kind of knew a little bit about it going in, and you're like, all right, well, this is kind of a one note thing. But I feel like, in the end, it kind of wins you over that silly song. You're like, all right, fine. Um, let me look at some of the other ones here. My, I think my unimpeachable favorite, and I, maybe I have a special feeling about this because I saw this on a tour at Pixar, but I think Presto is, in terms of like, as an entertainment thing, I think Presto is exquisite. And like being there in the room with people and saying, hey, look, you know, they waited to animate this until every single person in the audience could be animated, which if you think about it, is just mind blowing. Love, I love Jack-Jack Attack. And I have a special fondness for George and AJ, which is probably closer to an animatic than, but like some of them, like they could do a lot with a little in these. Yeah, I tend to like the weirder ones. Like Presto, I think is great, uh, but it is fairly conventional. It's like the Warner to, Brothers. It's, a, it's a, like a tribute to Warner Brothers. Yeah, compared to like Lava or the Blue Umbrella, it is, you know, uh, what's what's the other one that I'm thinking of that is. Mater in the Ghost Light? Maybe it's not them. Maybe it's the. Uh, no, this is them, right? The paper airplane one. What the heck was that one? Oh, that's Disney. Yeah, that was terrific. That was, was that, was that Disney? Yeah, it was Disney. That was before uh, one of the recent ones, like not Wreck-It Ralph. What's the one after Wreck-It Ralph? Frozen? It was maybe the one before Frozen. That was DreamWorks, wasn't it? Maybe, I don't know. Anyway, I, no. speaking of animated shorts, I like that one. I love that one a but lot. I, but I like, I like them to be weird. Right? So the, it's right. a silly one with the moon and the, and the broom and the little things and the, how they kind of clink together. It's just weird. And that that that's what... Oh, you know what's great? What's the one where Buzz gets switched with the tiny guy at the chicken restaurant? It's um, you remember the one where um, the, you know, the little girl from Toy Story three brings Buzz Lightyear to the um, takeout chicken place. I think Angus McLean did this one. What is it called? Uh, and, it, and it was basically like the support group. I mean, it's a scene that seems kind of lifted one way or the other for, it's sort of like the scene in Wreck-It Ralph, but basically all these discarded pre, like uh, promotional toys at a fast food place are having like an encounter group, like a, a, a meeting in the, you ever seen that one? Does not sound familiar, but I probably have at some point. Uh, I will find it. I didn't see Sanjay Super Team. I just realized I saw no the good, kidding. I saw the Good Dinosaur, but I, I didn't see it in the theater. I got to go oh. check. I I bought Good Dinosaur on iTunes. I think I'll have to check. Maybe I just missed that extra. Let's not talk about the Good Dinosaur. <laughs> well, what'd you think? Some, some nice rendering. It's it's te- technologically. Oh boy, is this the third rail? Um, I thought it was technologically like magnificent. But there's never been a Pixar movie that I thought about less after I left left the theater. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not criticizing uh, per se. It's just Monsters that I, University. It's not a run uh, close second to <sighs> think about after leaving the theater. Not a fan. Yeah, not a fan. I thought. I thought it was. I, I heard so many people say bad things about it. I was expecting the worst, and I thought it was fine. I'm so glad when people change my expectations. Uh, like that. What is the one I'm thinking of? It's Buzz. Oh, Small Fry. It's on. Um, 
I think it's on the second. Yeah, small fry. And this one is this is one of those ones that's just, it's so Angus McLean did it. The guy who did the Wally Lego. I wish they'd give that guy a feature. He's amazing. You should watch this. I'll buy it for you. Do you have the uh, the second set of uh, Pixar movies? You can watch it for free. I'm just about, I was just about to watch it for free on the. I won't do it now, but I got the URL. Should we watch it together? It's very good. Uh, seven minutes long. We don't have seven minutes to to waste in this very important podcast. <laughs> oh, you can watch it for free. Look at that. Are you signed up for that thing for that Disney movie thing everybody's talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, there's a thing all the people on the Slack were talking about where you sign up. It's a Disney movie thing, and you get all the Marvel movies. You get a bunch of Disney movies. It's a streaming service. Disney uh, movies. No. I'm not either. I don't think I'm signed up for it's that. An interesting Although, idea. The last few things that I bought that had digital versions are like, where do you want your digital version? You can get it on Amazon Prime. You can get uh, it on iTunes. You can get crackle. it in, in uh, yeah, you can get it in that that terrible one. What is it? Ultraviolet that everyone hates. Oh God. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, check it out. I don't know if you like it. It's I think it's super fun, and it's I like the I like the fun that they have with the shorts. And yeah, Angus McLean, I like his stuff. I think he's from Canada, which I'm not going to hold against him. He does good work. Did you see that Wally that he made? He had a Wally uh, for Lego oh, Ideas. It's pretty Lego amazing. One. Yep, yep. That's him. So anyway, I hope we can agree that movies are good. Mm-hmm. Established. I sent you a picture of my spice shelf. We don't have to talk about that. We talked about it enough offline. When did you send me that? Remember, I sent you a picture of my uh, my primary spice shelf. Yeah, how long ago? I don't know, three weeks, four weeks? Yeah, no, I don't have that picture anymore. Uh, you have upbraided me about my viewing habits. Oh, I just want to say in my own defense, last last bit for me on follow-up, um, that we recorded the pre- the previous to this episode in early April, where I was like pretty much up to date on season five, and I was pretty much up, totally up to date on season six of Walking Dead. Since we recorded that, like probably starting that night, I have gone back and watched so much Walking Dead. I don't think you know what up-to-date means. <laughs> You're misunderstanding that phrase. There's a moment in my life that I'm going to treasure forever, and it's the feeling of me standing there on that playground by my house while I've never seen you so imbued, so furious. <laughs> my wife is furious, too. She's more polite. <laughs> Hasn't been dealing with you. I wish, I wish we'd been recording. It was so great. But just for what it's worth, so now I've seen okay. So the stuff I've seen all, all I've seen all of all of the farm, including as you talked about. Oh, I didn't remember this. I forgot about the what happens in the field with Shane. Oh my god! Uh, so I've seen all the farm. I've seen I've seen all of Terminus twice. So it's I think short. I feel like at the point I was saying in that previous program about the girl walking out of the barn, you didn't know what I'm talking about, but now you do, right? Oh my god! Oh right. my god! We don't have a spoiler warning on this stunt. So well, and, and that's a super interesting one because we can speak obliquely about this because at least from stuff that I've read, most people feel like the Sophia thing got kind of dragged out through a lot of season two. I, I thought it was fine because I thought it was exactly as it would be. It's like, it's well, a MacGuffin, it's what, a MacGuffin in some ways, right? not, not a MacGuffin. It's like, it's a thing that happens and it's like, well, there, you're not going to get a nice pat resolution in real life. You just sit there and you have to just wonder. And it, to the point where you're like, well, you know, arguing with yourself, you would just accept that this, you know, well, we're just, I'm yeah. not going to see her right, again. Right. Or like, that's exactly how it would be. And meanwhile, other life goes on and other stories continue on. Right. And yeah, I love the building the relationship with Herschel. I love that part. Um, I love God. I adore Carol. I told you. I texted you. I finally went back <laughs> and watched the Carol and Carol origin story. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Pretty great. That guy. See, I don't know, do you think? Do you understand how how insane it is to be watching the later seasons without understanding 
this I understand fun, these fundamental why you, I facts about Carol and how that color is everything. It just doesn't make any sense. It's like it's linear storytelling. I don't know. It's a mess. I I understand why you feel that way. So I saw that. That I just went to last week or so. Uh, Terminus. I've gone back and you know and yet I was correct about one thing. Season four, episode something like eight. Uh, still, my, I think it's my favorite episode. Um, too far gone. You like the big set pieces? Oh my like. god, that is just that's like the end of like a Wagner opera. <laughs> so so great, and but you know, then I also I had gone back and watched a ton of the governor stuff. You're right, got kind of dragged out, but man, the governor stuff is good. But I got to give you your props. I had totally spaced. I'd seen the Terminus episode. I did not remember what happened in that first episode of the season of the Terminus thing. And you are absolutely, I just want to stipulate, John Sarkisa, you are 100% right. That is exactly what I was talking about. Now we're being really oblique. When I was talking about like <laughs> what, I, what I was expecting to have happen with Negan, and you yeah. were like, yeah, 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 but go back and watch this. And, I, was, and I, I have since, John Sarkisa, I have watched that episode all the way through three times since the last time that we talked. I know how it is going to turn out. I know, I know that there are characters that make it out of that scene. I still watch that one particular scene, and it's one of the most excruciating things I've ever seen in my life. I also like that, like, there was another people, what people call a cheap cliffhanger. Like, let's end with them trapped in this confined area. Oh, how are they going to get out of this? Boy, they really miscalculated with this whole thing, right? <laughs> That's not and, what Rick says. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, what was it like? They, got the, they trapped the wrong people? In the, comic, in the comic, of course, he's, he's lost his arm, but there's a great shot of him in the comic, and he goes, nope, they f- with the wrong people. Yeah. Um, and, but I think that was a season break. I don't know, whatever it was. No, oh, it was. that Them in the car and meeting up with Mustache Boy and everybody, I think, is the end of that season. Right. And then it comes back with them. And it's the one, and it's a, but it's a, you know, ah, boo. It's a great cliffhanger. The whole thing of, like, the, what's the guy's name? The uh, awful guy who runs things, who's such a great actor. Where he's like, okay, now you, you walk up. Now you walk in. Now you, mm-hmm. you know, th- that whole, it's, I, I just thought it was exquisite. It was it was so well done, and it, it didn't feel cheap to me at all. I, right. I and their ingenuity with what they're doing in the car is so great. Yeah. And, and the and the long wait. I mean, watching it in real time, this is where the sure. long wait I think really heightens it because you're like, how are they going to get this one? And and it looks like the answer is they're not going to get. <laughs> they're they're going right. to think they're going to get out of this one. You're going to think they're going to get out of this one, but they've miscalculated again, and they need to be. And they're all they're all ready for the big attack, and then they're yeah. like, whoops. We miscalculated this. Uh, anyway, so great. Terminus, great. Uh, Governor, great. Uh, episode called Clear, where they go and see Morgan in the little town. Uh, there's a reason. I mean, that's their blink in some ways. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. That is to Walking Dead as And again, Morgan, to... you have to remember. I've seen the first episode <laughs> right, like three just... times. I know Morgan. Right. Yeah, he's a guy. He's a guy. He had a son. Right. So that's really good. And what else was I going to mention that I really liked? Uh, the prison stuff, pretty terrific. I feel like I'm leaving something out. But anyway, I just wanted to say thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I am doing this wrong. If you were going to suggest to people where to start, would you say, like, start with the end of season, like, four, probably? Where, where would you suggest people start? Probably, like, at the beginning of season three would be a good place to start. I, it's, it's halfway <laughs> through that statement, I can't even tell if you're, if you're kidding me. I'm like, and I'm like, well, this is probably a joke, but mm. his tone of voice does not say Merlin joking tone of voice. But, you know, and only when you went with the second thing would you say season three that I said, okay. Because <laughs> that's, that's how far gone. That's, that's where you're... Too far gone. Too far gone. That's right. Exactly. Way oh, too Oh, it's far so gone. great because he's making his case and the governor he's at the end of his rope and he's like, we're not too far gone. I also love the way he says Coral. I want to have. I want to name. I want to name something Carl, just so I can call it Coral. Uh, oh, oh uh, also, also, holy! Shit, 
the Merle stuff. The Merle stuff. Oh, my God. How did I forget the Merle stuff? He's fantastic. What was I saying? He was great. And, and then, again, watching Daryl later, not the understanding Merle, where Merle, he came from, no, how he I, came from, well, out from I know he had a brother. I know he had a brother. But it, how, how it so defines his life and his character and, like, why yeah. he is the quiet guy that he is, you know what I mean? Well, the craziest part of it is when I got to the one where he shows up out of the woods with the deer, that's his entry. That's, that's his introduction to the show, right? I kept what? thinking, like, Daryl had been on for way longer than that, but Daryl just shows up one day and, like, oh, yeah, that's that dude's brother. And it's I, like, well, isn't that right? I don't remember. It's too far. It's too oh, long. too far gone. Uh, John recommends S1E1, which I believe is called Days Gone By, which is, I think you, alongside Clear, it is, I think, widely regarded as the best episode of the show. Is the what, uh, Days pilot. Gone By? The first? Days nah, Gone By. I wouldn't say that. I, because it's, I feel like on this type of show, some people yeah. say the same thing about Lost, but on this type of show, I feel like you have to get to know and love the characters before you can get the big payoffs. Like, you have yeah, to prime yeah. the pump. Right, you don't get the big payoff until you've established the characters and made people love them and, and established relationships, and then you can you can get the big payoff. You got to wind the clock, you got to right? earn or whatever. It, yeah. I don't know what 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 uh, what kind of analogy you want to use here. You, I still think Lost Pilot is one of the best pilots because even though you don't know the characters, like what in the world? Have you like, ever have really you ever been any more curious it. at the end or halfway through, and then at the end? Of the, have you ever been more curious about what in the hell is going to happen yeah, on the show? I remember there was a, a comic uh, about. Uh, lost and I, I don't even remember what panel three was but panel one was like two people hanging out it's like hey have you been watching the, I'm watching a show called Lost and the other person interrupts and panel two is the person spinning around with their eyes wide staring at the other person saying I love Lost like <laughs> Like as soon as you mentioned, it, like oh my god, I saw it. Did you? I thought I was. I had hallucinated it. This is show is actually on television. You know, like that people were so hyped up about it, and like just to meet someone else who's like you experienced that too. It's like it's like uh, you know being abducted by aliens or whatever. And then you like, got to oh wait god. a week. There was no binge watching. I mean, when that would come out, and it's like it's now today. Did you ever see the Portlandia episode about Battlestar Galactica? Yep. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Yep. One more. One more. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that episode. One more episode. I think it's called. M-O-O-R-E. But that, that was the thing. It's like you get to the end of Lost and it'd be like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. How am I going to live for a week knowing what I know, what is going to happen to these people? Um. So, yes. I guess, yes. I, I, this is one where I'd agree. Start at the beginning. It's a good show. <laughs> it's too late for you. <laughs> I'm not qualified you should, you to give advice. the whole speech. There's still a bunch of the second part of season two I haven't seen, so I should go back and watch that. You just say, it's too late for me, my son. Say that real slowly, like you have marbles in your mouth. <laughs> Is that Godfather? No. no. Never uh, mind. You, you never want to act out the scenes I want to act out. I never remember them. I don't know. I wish you could throw me like a gang sign so I'd know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, really good show. So Merle. Oh, man. Merle on the roof. And then you got, oh, my God. And uh, so what else? Would I, anyway, I just want to say, hey, uh, The Walking Dead. This is the show I can <laughs> highly recommend. Did you see my Michonne? I did. It's very impressive. Isn't that? No, seriously. No, no, no. Don't be that guy. It's, you've got to admit. That no, is, that's a good. That's a good. Uh, for like 26 bucks. Them. Isn't that an amazing Michonne? It is. Man. I just changed my, uh, my Twitter header to a Michonne uh, panel. I was explaining the show to my daughter the other night. Not age appropriate. <clears throat> well, especially because I was explaining to her, because she has a zombie survival manual where she's mapped out how we'll get out of the house if there's zombies, and I was explaining it to her. She said, well, I was like, you know, you know, like Michonne over there, the, you know, with her, like uh, she had a couple family members where she cut off their arms and cut out their mouth so that she'd be able to like have the scent of the walkers. She's like, what? I was like, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> I went back and watched that. I watched her flashback. I saw that part. 
<laughs> I think one of my favorite moments is going to be when I was uh, telling your wife how I like to go to TV.com and sort by rating for all six seasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's against it too, right? She's, she's not happy about this. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Regular people are. It doesn't make sense to anybody why you would do this. Mm. I hope she likes me. I really liked her. I, I don't think I made a very good impression. And I called her dry, and I think she took it as kind of a, a slam. I didn't mean it that way at all. I meant it as a compliment. It's fine. She already knows you from listening to your own podcast. So oh, you're, you're at a disadvantage. She knows you. You don't know her. Oh, my God. I know she makes you write thank you notes. Yeah, it mostly makes the kids write thank you notes. But, yeah. Good for her. So anyway, uh, check out the show called The Walking Dead. It is available on television. Uh, John suggests if you're going to watch it, uh, don't listen to any of what we just said and go back and watch the first episode, uh, Days Gone By. Oh, you know, I texted you about this the other night because, you know, I text you when I'm watching the show for no reason. The, um, but the, the whole tone, like even into the Dale parts, the whole tone of the show is so different. The stakes like this is not a spoiler, but like a scene where they like they still don't really know like how to kill walkers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there's like six of them like just like, <laughs> beating the torso of a walker, and you're just screaming like kill the brain, <laughs> kill the brain. But it's like but there's that one scene where there's like six of them surrounding this one uh, woman walker who's in terrible condition, <laughs> and you're like that's the kind of thing where Carol would just like Carol would just like you know she could just keep keep eating her popcorn and take that thing out. But the, the tone was so different because there's still so many things unknown. Oh, it's such a good show. Ah. Oh. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code DIFFS, that's D-I-F-F-S, at checkout, and you're going to get 10% off your first purchase. Nothing wrong with that. With easy-to-use tools and templates, Squarespace helps you capture every detail of what drives you. Because if it's worth the effort, it is worth sharing with the world. What better place to do that than Squarespace? They make it so awfully easy. They put all the power you need into your hands, and they take away the pain points. You ain't got to worry about hosting. You ain't got to worry about scaling. And you ain't got to worry about what to do if you get stuck with something. Take it from an old-timey coal miner like me. With Squarespace, you can build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of skill level, no coding required, and it is professionally designed. You know, you go and you tweak it. You make it look the way you want. That's what you do. That's why you get Squarespace. Jeez, come on, people. They have state-of-the-art technology to power your site and ensures security and stability. They're trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected companies in the world, including respected companies like, uh, like, uh, like, like me. I'm respected. I'm a brand. Look at me. Their site templates are stunning to look at. They all feature responsive design. They make your site look great. On any kind of device, dingus, or place, it will fit the screen. It will look cool, and you don't have to go download some kind of JavaScript thing that will be very confusing to you. They do all that for you. This is just getting started. Squarespace has tons of awesome features. They have 24 by 7 support with live chat and email. They have the Squarespace commerce platform. That means you can add a store to your Squarespace site, a store. You can sell things on a website. What a wonderful time to be alive. They also have an amazing thing called the cover page. This is a wonderful piece of functionality that lets you build one of those extremely modern-looking single-page websites. When I see this, I'm always blown away. It's such a great feature. Rock solid, fast hosting, so much more. You know Squarespace. Get Squarespace. You know, I, I don't say this every week, but I, I just want to clarify here. A lot of y'all are on Squarespace. Some of you have looked at Squarespace and decided it maybe isn't for you. Here's what I want you to keep in mind. I cannot promise you that Squarespace is a perfect fit for every person listening to the show. I can't promise anything. I'm just a guy in California. 
What I am here to tell you is that Squarespace is very likely right for someone in your life. If you're a nerd and you do not want to be in the webmaster business, point your friends and your family, your church groups, your community groups, schools, point them towards Squarespace and show them how blindingly fast and easy and dependable this site is. It is just the best. If you sign up for a year, you get a free domain name. So you can name your site whatever you want. You should totally do this. And Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month, which is a doddle, as people like I might say. You can start your trial with no credit card required. Begin building your website today. You go to squarespace.com. That's on the internet. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the very special offer code DIFFS. That's D-I-F-F-S. That's going to get you 10% off your first purchase and shows your support for reconcilable differences. Ah, our thanks to Squarespace for their support of Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. So, uh, of our one last thing, on, uh, I was thinking about our our uh, all too brief meeting when I was on vacation there. I'm like, what what thing stuck out in my mind about the place where we met? Because which I had envisioned many times from listening to the the, the streetcar on your the broken swing on your podcast. No, not that. Um, and I was going to ask you to guess, but there's no way you would guess because you have no idea. What no, no, ask me, ask mind. me the question. Ask it, ask it. No, I was like, what, what is it that, uh, that I, you know, I have this vision in my head of the place where you live right. based on all your discussions of it and the audio cues from uh, the podcast that you're on. And then I was at the actual place. What most did not match up with my. Okay, I'm going to rule out the seemingly obvious stuff. So, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little bit of a Columbo here. <laughs> um, so, you're not going to get it. I, that's why I said I was going to ask. Go ahead. You can, you can. Because it. so it's it's not it's not weather. That's too obvious. Because it's usually cooler and cloudier. The quality of light different than you'd expect. The noise different than you'd expect. Height of the buildings probably too obvious. Amount of traffic on the street. Am I anywhere close? You actually were, but you <laughs> you dismissed it. I thought you wouldn't even come close to it. You, it, thought, it, you thought the buildings would be taller. Yes, that's exactly what it is. The, the building should have been way taller. Why right, were the buildings right. so so short? And I don't know why. I didn't picture you like in the canyons of Manhattan. Obviously, well, Dan, Dan makes it sound but, like I'm in some sort of like you know, like you know, some kind of you know secret lair up on top of a, a building on top of a mountain. And no, it's very, just, it's yeah, it, it's hilly. But I think, uh, well, spoil it. I think part of the zoning restrictions are, except in extraordinary circumstances, you can't go more than three stories high in most places. You're also supposed to have a bay window. I expected the buildings to be twice the height. You would not be able to see like to the next street because it would be there would be at least like a four, like, five, six. Or maybe story. like uh, like little brownstones in Brooklyn or something. Yeah, you expect like, like, like a like an apartment building or something. Yeah, just a little. Wow. Bit- so I I, I kind of got it. I, I discarded it, but I kind of got it. Yeah, no, maybe that I didn't know that was such a thing, but like, yeah, it's my East Coast bias against uh, short cities. <laughs> I don't blame you. I didn't really ask you much about it. You know, I'm, I'm, we're not supposed to have you know feelings for each other, but I was very happy to get to see you and, and your beautiful family. We'll cut all this out. Um, but uh, was there anything like? Wh- I'm just curious in general. Like, is it kind of what you expected? Everything after that, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I knew it. Massage I've been, parlor. Been to San Francisco before, you know. So the like, Walgreens. Yeah. Taco Bell. You saw my library. You saw my Taco Bell. You saw your, my Walgreens. Your little fake tea. My little, uh, my what? You've got a tea, but it's not the real tea. It's the fake tea. I got a fake tea. I got a fake, fake tea called the L. Yeah. People yeah. come here from other places. Yeah. Okay. Boston. Sure. But mostly, most especially people come here from, say, Tokyo or oh, did London. I, tell you, I didn't tell you about my tea story. Uh, oh, I want to hear that. Them. 
The Muni story. People will look at the map. Well, it's just this. So basically, we have these five rail lines that go different places to the west and a little bit to the east. But mostly when they get to Market Street, they all converge. And it's so freaking funny to people who are from Tokyo or London to go down into the tunnel <laughs> to consult the, the map. And the map is a diagonal line with like six dots on it. <laughs> like, you need a map for this? You need a map that tells you go four, four stops and get off? Like compared to like London? So what's yeah. your, tea, what's your did, tea story? Did you see, speaking of that, did you see, uh, maybe you're not in that channel, uh, a friend from Scotland was showing a map of, I don't know what city it was, some city in Scotland, their public transportation system, their subway. I saw the bowling alley. No, did James post up? A- yeah, their, sub, their subway map. It's a circle with dots along. <laughs> like, this, this, is the, this is their train. It's one thing and it goes in a loop and has dots along it. That's, that's their map. That's their public transportation map. And yet, and yet, our system is still inscrutable. The signage is terrible. The update, it's, it's all just, it's such a hodgepodge. It's a city of Rome problem. Like there's all these little hodgepodge patches like from the BART era forward. There's just, ugh, it's, and it's like nobody's ever done like a real, like a reboot, like a, what's the guy's name? The Italian guy in New York. Uh, Helvetica guy. Nobody's done like a serious reboot of the way everything is. Yeah, well, well that, that was one of the things uh, complained about in the various touristy things was like that they had the some design, East Coast designer take the Manhattan grid pattern for streets and lay it down over San Francisco, and that's why it looks like it does. And the joke on the tour was like they didn't realize that they had hills, so when he came to visit San Francisco, didn't you know? Like you have a grid pattern for streets, but it doesn't no, it's, really. It's, re- it's absolutely ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense with the terrain, but I have to say it makes it easier to navigate because it's a freaking grid in my neighborhood it's it's the easiest giant part of a large city to navigate ever all of the streets are streets and they're alphabetical all the avenues are avenues and they are numerical so like you could be drunk and find your way around my neighborhood it's it's not hard at all no no there was a plan i think before the earthquake i don't remember the history on this but i think there was a plan before the earthquake you know, like in the wake of the Olmstead stuff with Golden Gate Park, there's this whole idea of like what we could do with the city and the grids and da, da. and basically the idea for out where I am. So what you're describing is like if you looked, if you look at a traffic map or a, a typical like flat, like a 2D map of the giant western part of town where I live, you go, that is easily the most sensible system that I've ever seen in my life. And then what you want to do is hit a button and have that pivot to a like a like an isometric view where you would go, holy crap. If you had moved that street like three feet this way, you would not have had to go up a 20 degree grade. (laughs) So there's certain streets like 20th Avenue is the bike route because it's the one that has the fewest incredibly unnecessary dumb hills. Just a little bit of tacking, just a little bit of moving around of curve would have changed everything. But like, no, this is where these streets go. (laughs) It makes zero. When you see it on a topographical map, it is the most bananas thing you've ever seen in your life. That's why people go there and take pictures. It's like a, you know. Look at this. Look at the strange, misshapen city. Well, so but on the other side of the coin is where I live now, the Boston metro area, which did not have a grid laid on it at any point. It is just spaghetti sneezed out of a giant's nose onto the ground. Cows, right? Cows. I don't know what animals they were, but they they may have been drunk. Uh, but nothing is at right angles. Everything is a maze of twisted one way streets. Uh, intersections where seventeen lines meet at varying angles with a, with seventeen traffic signals in the middle. And, our, you know, that's one of the great Boston things. You know, you have signals that are like, 
you know, red, uh, yellow, and green, and you have arrows that point forward, and arrows that point right, and arrows that point left. Only in Boston do you have arrows that point every other possible degree besides, you know, 90, 0, 180. <laughs> How about a 15-degree arrow? How about a 12-degree arrow? How about a 27-degree arrow? How about three of those in the same intersection? <laughs> Just enter oh, this I, I've got a giant story. expansive asphalt and realize which one of these 20 exits are you supposed to take. Oh, I've got a story. Um, there's a hotel. I don't know. How, are you familiar with regular Boston? Enough like, that I'll probably get what you're going to say. Okay. That. So there was a, a hotel not far, probably from what became the Ted Williams Tunnel. A little hotel called like, not fourth quarter, something quarters. Long story short, we're there like in the last two thirds of the big dig. So we're going to go to PVD via Boston. So, hey, let's just stop. We'll get a flight the night before. We'll go rest up in Boston. We'll fly to Providence in the morning. It'll all be copacetic. My hand to God, this is a true story. We arrive. It's, 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 it's after the days. I think it's in the days where parts of the big dig are falling down. It's over budget. Like, it's the worst. For people who've never been through this, you can't even. It's, it's like one of my dreams to have to drive through the big dig. So we go to bed. We pull in. We... <laughs> I have to ask my wife. This might be a fever dream. I'm pretty sure we arrived that night at 8 or 9. We got to this place. Guest quarters, maybe? We arrive at this hotel. We pull in. We go to our room. And by the time we woke up in the morning, the way that we got into the hotel did not exist anymore. So basically, the the road that we drove in on was now gone they would like like day to day, hour to hour, where you could drive in Boston was changing, and yep. the way to get to the Ted Williams Tunnel, which we could could hit with a silver dollar, we now had to like change the entire route. But it was it was so disorienting because you're like you know you have that basic just the basic sense of like how I got here and how I get out. You know this is where the water is, this is where the tunnel is. I swear to Christ, the next morning when we woke up, the road was gone. Yep, I lived through many years of that. No, uh, no, am I exaggerating? Was this no, a thing? That's the thing? I mean, here's the thing: they they rerouted lots of things, and they you know moved things from one place to the other, and they you know they, the big dig was a very large project. Um, and if you see a time lapse of it, you're like, oh, there was this big multi level road going through here, and then the road disappears, and new roads appear underground, blah blah blah. But during that, like, because Boston is a, a city where people you know go to work and then go home and then go to sleep and go to work, go home. There is always for every one of these changes. A night where, uh, you know, you go to sleep and the road is in one place and you wake up and it's in a different place because you got to move it sometime and you can't close the city down for a week for you to move it. And the best time to do it is during the night when most people are asleep. So that's when they did it. So even though and, and, and the progress, are, the progress on uh, on the work of that over this one, two, three, four, five day period means like within this one to two day range, we'll do this. But we can't tell you like exactly when it's going to happen. Right? Well, they can usually tell you if you care to know and they'll have big signs about road work or whatever. But the thing you just during the big dig, you just got used to like. I've driven to and from the airport through the Big Dig many, many times over the years, and there was a certain period of years where it seemed like every time we went to the airport, it was a different route, because it had to be, because roads were disappearing and reappearing, and there was detour signs everywhere, and that's just, you just got used to it. I want to say it was like that that uh, that awesome episode last season, where the doctor was in the castle. Did you see that one? Yep. The Groundhog Day one? Mm-hmm. But you're like, you're like, everything seems exactly the same, and yet it's completely different. Like, all of these, I, I used to be I could go this way, and now I can't go that way. Anyway. Very, very perplexing. And uh, Rob Corchie's father, I think, was an engineer on that project, if memory serves. Very funny bit on that. Anyway, John recommends Boston, uh, the Ted Williams <laughs> Tunnel. John recommends starting with season three of The Walking Dead. Anything else we're missing? Uh, no. Okay, we have uh, up to three potential topics tonight. Uh, I just, I feel like we can't lead them on too much longer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it's fine. I'm, I'm ready. Yeah, how far in are we? Oh, we're pretty far in. 
Yep. We could do uh, drugs, media, or consistency. No, we got we got to do the drugs. So just get that right. uh, little uh, scary uh, hypodermic yeah. needle uh, icon off of this document. I'm going to be really glad to not see that. I'm sorry I added that. Yeah. No. How did this one start? You are aware that I had done drugs in the past, and you want to know what's up with that. Well, yeah, no, you, I mean, you and Roderick talk about drugs a lot on your shows, okay. and you don't, you talk not so much, but he talks about it. But I do the little bits you have uh, let slip reveal a, uh, a an exotic past involving uh, drugs of various kinds. Um, yeah, and yeah, I figured that was worth discussing because I think we have different experiences here. Yeah, and my impression from you is that in addition to being a libidinal horn dog, you experimented <laughs> a little bit with uh, with alcohol in the past. You found that it's not to your liking. Uh, drugs were never a big part of your workflow. Are you are you familiar with uh, Zara Boogs? No, no. You, I think I've said it. It's not that, that a store at the mall, John. What is no, that? No, it's one of those things I've said on my podcast that you've since forgotten. Z a r r o. Which one are you? Are you the other one? Z-A-R-R-O, Zaro, Boogs, B-O-O-G-S. Zaro Boogs. So for the people who are not currently uh, Googling so this like you are. Bugzilla? Yeah, so Bugzilla was a bug tracking uh, p- package made by the people who made Mozilla, the uh, the web browser that arose from the ashes of Netscape. Yep. Uh, and it was like a web-based bug tracker. Uh, and uh, Brady Spitz, I was at the uh, release party for uh, Mozilla 1.0. There you go. Um, yeah. so with, anyway, Matt, with Matt Howie and uh, Jesse Garrett. Uh, Bugzilla was the, this uh, ancillary piece of software they made. And if you ever got it to the point where you had closed all the bugs, rather than the software saying you have zero bugs, it would say you have Zaro Boogs or Zaro Boogs found or whatever. <laughs> um, because you can never have zero bugs. All it means is that you haven't found the bugs that exist. Like no piece of software ever has zero bugs, but you might have Zaro Boogs. Well, uh, I've done Zaro Droogs. Which means, have you done zero drugs? No, it's kind of impossible to do zero drugs because so many things are drugs and technically you want to go into different <laughs> prescription things and all the stuff you have. But if you were to look at my Bugzilla screen, it would say Zara Drugs. Okay. <clears throat> and, that's, that's, and that's how I think of it. Don't think of it as like, you know, oh, I've never done any drugs. Because it's, it's just like bugs. It's not... Did I spell that right? It's not a thing. Two R's. Two R's. Uh, okay. <clears throat> you want me to go? Yeah. Well, um, so I'm 49 and I grew up <clears throat> with like health classes that were, I mean, like my understanding of what drugs were was pretty much like, like this one image. So I had lots of health classes and lots of advice to not do drugs, right? That, that's just been a, that's a theme through the life of someone my age. But I have this very specific recollection I don't know if I'll ever see this again, but in maybe eighth grade, I remember in the don't do drugs part of health class, which was most of health class, it was a picture of this grainy black and white photo of this slender male body with a paper bag over his head. And it was this kid that was dead from huffing airplane glue. And it's just, it's one of those, you know how it is? Like there's those certain kind of indelible images. And uh, today I think that would be a good Smiths album cover. But 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 I look at that or, and I say or like- a Calvin Klein ad. Or Calvin Klein ad. He's so calm. Um, that was how I came up. I came up with so you know the the you know it's funny. I was talking to my landlord uh, yesterday about you know the changing in San Francisco, and we were talking about how like for anybody who was supposedly for anybody who was actually here, the summer of love 
1967, maybe six weeks, maybe eight weeks, that it went so quickly from like, you know, f- you know, fun, free sex with people you like and illuminating drugs to like heroin and rape, like within like two months. And it was bad. And it's, it led to huge, like, seismic changes in how the city works. Everybody wants to talk about Hate ashbury and blah, da 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 dancing in the park. The most important thing that came out of that era was the number of people who moved to what was then called Eureka Valley. All the gay people who lived in Hate ashbury said, forget about this. Let's go to this cheap neighborhood over here that's called Eureka Valley. That became the Castro. That was the most important change of that era. And it happened because of the utterly corrosive nature of hard drugs. So that's what I grew up with, even you know, back in Ohio, just on TV, in, in classes and everything all the time. It was just banged into your head that as soon as you do drugs for the first time, your life is essentially over. I mean, a very kind of Catholic view, like, you know, sort of an original, not original sin, but you know what I mean? This idea that like, it only takes this one time and you will never be redeemable. You will take LSD and lose your mind. Did they actually say that to you, or is that what you were taking away from it? Because I was at the same series of health classes, it sounded like, probably with the same film strips and the same silly things. But, like, I remember mine being a little bit more clinical in that they would explain all the different types of drugs and the different types of different types of addictions, different types of addictiveness, and, like, just the mechanics of how each one of them worked. And so there was never a point where they were saying, if you take one puff of one joint the next day, you will be a homeless heroin addict, right? They did have a little bit of the slippery. You'll be you'll be jumping out a window like Helen Hunt. The slippery slope stuff, but they never like, you know, like the reefer madness stuff that was before my time. Like the whole idea is like, you know, one joint and that's it, right? They would just, they would categorize it all and they would say, the, the only slippery slope thing they had is like once you've decided that you're going to break the law and try, uh, you know, illegal mood altering substances, uh, it's easier to try the next one once you've sort of, you know, gone through. So that yeah, was their only, real slippery, yeah. their only real slippery slope thing, yeah, like the gateway type of thing. But it was never like, no, none of the outright falsehoods that you saw in like the worst of the propaganda media, like that just, you know, if right. you took this, this pretty much completely benign drug, you will go out of your mind. None of right. that. I, well, if that existed, I don't remember it, which is probably indicative. Like whatever made the impression on me was like, there was never a short film in class about how Sarah tried pot four times in a year and she still loves painting. Like, that was never a movie. Did you have the thing where you had to uh, sort of talk about rehearse and and play act your way through, uh, you know... Saying uh, no. Yeah, fighting against peer pressure. Like, the idea that they would tell you there's going to be peer pressure to do this. Your friends are going to want to do this. People you look up to are going to want to do this. You're going to want to do this. You need to be ready to understand how to say no. There's nothing particularly distinguished about the year I graduated high school except for like three things that happened the next year. I think, I I feel like 1986, well, first of all, yeah, like Mothers Against Drunk Driving and the whole drunk driving thing was huge throughout my high school career. But I feel like the, um, well, there was the uh, space shuttle crash in 1986. That was a big deal. There was the, the say no to or like the dare not saying well, i don't think it was saying no to drugs yet i don't know if it was dare then but the nancy reagan drug stuff i felt like really was getting ahead of steam on right around the time i graduated uh and what was the other thing um there's one other thing but i feel like i i i missed some of that stuff mine was the stuff that made an impression on me was really holdovers from the 60s and 70s the 80s stuff was more like was seriously like don't get aids that was the 80s that was when i was in high school it was like you don't want herpes you don't want aids just don't even risk it. Oh, yeah, Venere- the venereal disease section of health education was extensive. 
it's like it seemed like no one could have sex with anything without getting some kind of disease, probably multiple diseases. Uh, yeah, you might as well be like like rubbing your dick on a toilet seat at the port authority. Like they made it seem like this was not there was not a question here. But at the same time, they were all about telling you the million different things you can buy to help you not get diseases. So it's not like they were saying never have sex again in the Catholic type of way. What they were saying is if you're going to have sex, you must do yeah. one of these 17. I things. guess so. I don't feel like I don't feel like we got that big time. But no, just so at the time when it made the impression on me, there was very much the sense of like drug freak out from LSD, uh, like you're in a corner and overdosing on heroin, like you're whatever, I guess, you know, driving a car off a cliff, doing cocaine. Uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that was that was the background for me. And the, the reason I mention all of this is that, so like I visited with some family. I had two cousins, one who was five years older than me, one that was 10 years older than me. And I remember visiting with them when I was between eighth and ninth grade. And uh, my cousin, they were both of them, but even especially the younger cousin had like started smoking pot like daily. And it was crushing to me. So I was 14, so 14, 19, 24 were our ages. I was, I was crushed <laughs> that like my cousin was a druggie. I was so sad. I was so crestfallen. But I, I provide that as context here because like that was everything I knew was like, if you do this stuff, you will be ruined forever. And like seeing that so close and like nobody was calling him on it. Like you could smell it in the room. And it was like nobody was doing anything about it. And like the Midwestern, you know, mostly still Christian part of me was kind of like, this is, this is wrong. Do you know what I mean? It was the first person I knew that was close to me who was doing any kind of quote unquote drugs. And it was a, a cousin that I adored and I felt really let down. And so that was, that was my first, I think my first exposure to it. And it like, he had like a brandy snifter full of seeds and stuff. He had posters. He was proud of it. But, uh, it was a very interesting summer for me, but that was, that was my first impression of knowing somebody who was doing quote unquote drugs. I'm reluctant to put pot in with what we call drugs, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, you are also I was going to ask you that that sort of disappointment that you felt like this all like this guy I looked up to and, and this thing is happening and no one's doing anything about it, no one says anything. Um, did you feel the same way about all the relatives that you had that smoked? Mm, not really. Did you even make it like was it, it was categorically different? Like you were never like disappointed in your mom because she smoked or whatever. Like, oh, how could you be doing this? Or it was just like, well, whatever. That's, you know. But like smoking to me, I mean, as, even as much as I knew that smoking had been what killed my father, it was smoking was more like being really good at mumble peg, like being really good at throwing <laughs> a knife. It was something where like, yeah, that, that could be dangerous, but like it's something that like literally everybody does. Yeah, right. that's what I'm saying. Like, you didn't have that section of your health education along with the sex and the and the pot and the LSD and the heroin. There yeah, wasn't but it the wasn't, big tobacco but section. Smoking, smoking did not read as illegal and not culturally sanctioned method of getting you know altered. Right? It was it was just it was everywhere. Every everybody smoked all the time everywhere. And even though you knew it was damaging, it was not nearly the same as somebody who was like smoking a joint, like somebody smoking a joint in public. That would be the craziest thing in the world when I was a kid. <laughs> I didn't read as that to me. Did, well, did, did it to you? So your family, you know, your family, it, your family, it, it, your family it, it, all smoke. these, all these strands of education of safe sex. Don't do drugs. Don't smoke. They were all of a piece. Don't drink. Like they were all like, again, I felt like presented just ad nauseum. Right. It seemed like just years and years of this to the point where it's like, all right, we get it. We know everything about this. And all of them presented fairly even-handedly and clinically 
to the degree that it was it was not pressed in the curriculum, but it was clear to me anyway, and probably to most of the rest of the students, that there is no real distinction that you care about between smoking tobacco and smoking pot, except that smoking tobacco was like a million times worse. Like, like the legality and the morality never came into it, but like what they would basically like, so, like they would say, this is, these are the effects of marijuana. These are the effects of tobacco. This is, you know, this, if you, if you smoke tobacco, this, this is how, what chance you have to get addicted so that you have to do it on a regular basis. And these are the chances you have to get addicted. And it was just like, you know, they didn't go into like, doesn't it, isn't it weird that pot's illegal and tobacco is legal? They didn't even have those discussions. They just went oh, through it. No, point no, by, no, no, no. Bullet point by bullet point. And then I guess we were left to draw our own conclusions. I mean, they were telling us, don't smoke. Uh, if you're going to have sex, have safe sex. Uh, don't drink to excess. Uh, if you do drink, do it safely. And they would just repeat this message year after year over and over again to all of us to the point where I felt like by the time we entered high school, we'd all heard this so much. It was almost like, and we were bored with it. Um, and that it was, and I guess we were growing up in a different environment, like where, I mean, more people smoke than they do now, but it wasn't like the, the thing you're describing where like, oh, everybody smokes. Like the adults in most of our lives did not smoke. It was easily the right. majority. And in my life, it was like 0% of adults that smoked. Well, okay. So again, this is just the color of my crystal and my own memory of these things. But if I think about it, I'm trying to like kind of extract the, Marxist uh, <laughs> dialectical stuff out of this. Okay, so there's these kinds of things that it's almost like the different kinds of like you've got like you know like the there's the like in Harry Potter like there's the three forbidden curses right you know what I'm talking about like you you can't do the death you can't do the torture you can't do the control one it's like there were these there were these certain things that were like I felt like society was telling us whoever society was society was pages in the health book society was posters society was Society was cautionary lectures at church. And all these things were ever Boy Scouts. Like all the things you would hear over and over, this is the vibe that I got. There are certain kinds of things that you really need to keep an eye on. So, for example, alcohol. Like you don't want to drink too much and you don't want to drink and drive. You really, really need to keep an eye on that. But to me, like for the longest time, that was more along the lines of like wear a seatbelt and don't drive fast. Very, very different from talking about illegal drugs. So I feel like, and I don't, this could just be my, you know, who knows, remembering back, but I feel like in retrospect, it was much more about like societal order. It was like, no, these are, these. this is the Cruciatus curse, like do not do heroin. If you do that, there is a, there's like a, a certainty that your life will be ruined with this thing. It was one of those things where you got the vibe that like, this is just not the kind of thing you want to mess with. You know what I mean? Just don't put your hand near that dragon's mouth. I did not, in other words, I did not get what you're describing. I did not get this whole like, well, here's this very reasoned, you know, sort of evidence-based approach to understanding, you know, what intoxicants do to us. No, it was much more liturgical. It was more like, no, this, there's the, there are these things over here. You're going to hear over and over how these are things you cannot even go stand near because even standing near them could be dangerous. You were just you were living a chick track, is what you were. T- <laughs> in a lot of ways, yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's the difference, like the, the "just say no" Nancy Reagan thing. It's like you know, we don't want to explain this to you. Just say no. Why should Why should I have to just Just say no. Like, but but, 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 but what if I? Yeah, just just, just say, say no. no. It's so much easier if you just say no, and it's like that's just that's not. There's, I a, mean, there's a part of me that that thinks that like so like a, a favorite bit for a lot of and a quoted bit from. Arrested Development ends with the guy saying, and that's why you always leave a note. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason that's a tremendous bit. 
But I think for me, one reason that bit still resonates is that really feels like a lot of... See, like, we never had stuff like the come to the house where we show what happens during abortions. We didn't have stuff like that. But there was this sense of, like, here's the message that you need to hear from every side, that there's this entire class of kinds of activity. You know, in retrospect, I mean, it's funny because, I mean... One that would be beyond the pale would probably be things like homosexuality. We're like that. This is one that is so forbidden. We can't even talk about it as much as we're talking about cocaine. Like there's this other area over here in the craft shrunk. We can't even talk about all of these things. Those are the forbidden books. But there was stuff. There's this just this constantly uh, reinforced telegraph signal that there's this entire arena of things that will absolutely ruin your life. Definitely on contact, but probably upon sight. Sorry, I'm overstating this, but it was very. It was a very clear feeling. So how do you get from there to being a big druggie? Hmm, I wasn't a big druggie. <laughs> My goodness. You, you can tell me. <laughs> uh, can I show you on the puppet? No, I, uh, so I don't know how it started. You know, just experimenting. And so, um, pot. So like, so, so the pot, the pot angle, right? So you were, you're really disappointed in your cousin, right? And they're, they're preaching like, you know, reefer, so that's 1981, 82. That's around Blade Runner. So it's probably 81, 82. Um, yeah, yeah. And so that was when I was, so then it was probably two or three. It was when I was in a, it was a junior. Whenever, whenever Cheap Trick toured for Next Position, please. Not their best album. It has a great song on it. So 1983. So that would be August 83. So this would be probably 10th grade. Yeah. Yeah. So I tried it. So what tried. what changed between the time that you were so disappointed in your cousin? Because he was obviously destroying his life, according to what you had learned in health class. And, and, and disappointing me. Right. To yeah. transitioning all the way to this is the thing I want to try. Uh, even though these adults in my life tell me, obviously, in a non-convincing way, that if you do this, like, you're doomed. Okay, so the the three toadstools here are um, that let's say the so well the the unstated fourth toadstool would be childhood and everything I learned up until eighth or ninth grade. So there's the disappointment with my cousin uh, who died fairly recently in a in a way that made me very sad. Um, he um, it was a heart thing, not a pot thing, but he um, <laughs> he died of pot. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, we just received the news, and it's pretty much as we expected. It's like he's lost the will to live. The cause of death was part. <laughs> uh, so, toadstool number one, everything I grew up with. Toadstool number two, ah, Davey, what are you doing? Toadstool number three, um, buying weed and smoking it at a cheap trick concert. Next, giant toadstool, first year of college. So, you know, all through high school, I mean, I wasn't, I was a very amateur drinker and drugger. And the pot that I did had at first zero effect on me and then a tremendous effect on me. So I knew I had to be really careful with it. Yeah. Pot has more of an effect on me than other kinds of drugs, oddly enough. But do you remember what was going through your head saying, this is the thing I want to try? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, this is uh, – so a funny thing I've thought about since our kid was born is that, you know, I almost feel like – if you imagine like tetherball – like imagine the end of a tetherball round where the, where the ball is all the way wrapped around the pole. And like, so imagine hitting that ball and it's slowly unwinding. I kind of feel like that's how kids are with their parents, like in a nonlinear way though. Like every step they take away, they take a step and then they kind of run back. They take a step further away, they run back. And I feel like by 10th or 11th grade, it was me going like, okay, this is the thing I need to do. 
I need to get more penetrative as a thing, and I probably need to be doing the pot and doing it with a kid that, so it was me and my girlfriend and this other couple who was kind of a cool couple. They knew where to go to buy the pot, and then we'd go to the Cheap Trick concert, we'd buy a shirt, and we'd have the pot, and it felt a little bit like a milestone. I also, I kind of wanted to see what it would do, and I was ready for that uh, challenge. So you basically were not buying what they were selling in the health class by that point. You're like, yeah, they said all these things, but they say a lot of things. And a lot of things they say don't make any sense. That's a good question. That's a good question. I, I, I'm trying to figure out what I had put aside. I mean, I still had concerns that, I mean, what I was, what I was at least partly aware of that I eventually became very aware of is that there are things uh, with, you know, at, like they say, you know, like a habit starts as like like a little bit of a string and pretty soon you weave it into a rope. You certainly become aware that there are things that become easier to do when you do them a lot. And if those are dangerous things, that's, that's not a good idea. I'm trying to remember the sea change in that for me. I mean, there's part of it is like the whole like you're a smart ass, you think you're a smart person, and the credibility of the person who's charged with teaching health class. I mean, God bless them for teaching that. But, you know, this is also the year driver's ed for what it's worth. But uh, I'm not sure exactly what broke for me. I think 10th, 10th grade and 11th grade were really big testing years for me. I was kind of an asshole as a person, and I was certainly not very nice with my mom. And I, I was really pushing my boundaries and looking for relatively safe things that I could do to, to push boundaries. So it was more about like me trying to figure out within reason what I could do. I would never go out and, and do cocaine. I would never go out and do any like hard drugs at all, but I was ready to at least experiment at that point. Were you already smoking by that point? At that point, I mean, I had smoked, but I was not a smoker. No. I mean, I'd stolen cigarettes from my mom. I'd smoke with friends. I didn't smoke as a fun thing till after uh, high school, really. Are you, are you stealing cigarettes from your mom and smoking with your friends? That was a tr- typical smoking to be cool because all the adults in my life smoke, and it's an adult thing to do, and I want to feel like an adult type of in situation. In some ways, it was closer to masturbation. It was really more like this, like, this is my special project. Like, my special project is I'm going to have a cigarette. <laughs> it was masturbation your special project? How's that project going? Fantastic. <laughs> I mastered that one fairly early on. A little over budget, but, you know, I feel like it's... <laughs> I feel like the end result will be worth it. That's right. I um I believed in practical effects. Yeah. That was it. That's, <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, and is that, so through this, it, it's still it's still a bottle my mind that that this is this is your third toadstool, and that again, smoking doesn't come up unless I have to bring it up because is smoking a big thing for you. Yes, it's, it's a tremendous thing. It's tremendous. It's okay, like, I, I think I, I think I didn't know that. It's like. Uh, like you, uh, well, I, I don't want to interrupt your, your story because you have to get your third toaststool, but I'll come back to my smoking thing. So I feel like your third toaststool will be more exciting. No, 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 that, that, that's mostly it. I mean, like that, the, your the big one. things were... Your fourth one, I mean. And so then I have, okay, so anyway, in high school, so, and it's, it's funny, I actually have a, there's a fives about this out there somewhere. So I, like, something you hear from people, but you can't really fully appreciate is that the first few times you smoke pot, and it varies, you know, from person to person but the, the first few times you smoke pot it it may do it may at best give you a headache but it won't really do anything to alter you and so we bought a quarter bag and it was like you know so it's a quarter ounce of incredibly crap crappy florida shake weed and so and my girlfriend and i you know who were going through a thing at the time we were going places uh we would sometimes uh smoke the pot in the afternoon and so if you look at that fives, this is actually a true story. This is a totally true story. 
Um, so I've been smoking the pot for a while and nothing had happened. She was getting crazy high. And then one Friday afternoon, before I had to go to work, you know, for whatever, I'm just I'm smoking pot, whatever, it's a thing. And I got intensely stupid high. Like, like I've never been so disoriented at that point in my life. It was like, like having, you know, like being 10 years old and having a fever. Did you see the list? I'm looking at five snapshots from the day pot took. So are we to believe these are all things that actually happened or are these things you, you thought in hindsight? Kisa, these are things that literally happened. So why does your grandmother have a nosebleed? Okay. Number one, <laughs> number one, the first thing that I remember after the marijuana affected my brain was I was like, oh, no, something's really happening. Did you ever go to Denny's when you were a kid? Probably uh, not. I don't think so, but, but I'm, I'm familiar with Denny's. But Denny's had a thing where when you're a kid, you get the kid's menu, and you have this cool little like cardboard menu, and you could, uh, you could basically pop out the parts of this when you were done with your order and turn it into a little mask that you could wear for fun. And the first thing that I remember is that my girlfriend looked looked like a Denny's children's menu that was an Elizabeth Taylor mask. So welcome to the world of drugs. That's that's a true thing. Uh, Time got a little woozy for a while. Uh, I don't remember how I get to work. I think my friend Todd drove me to work. I don't remember getting there. And I was a bus boy. Item number three. This is true. I was incredibly, incredibly high. I had to pick up a giant dish of, uh, like a, a giant um, tray of dishes, and I almost lost it. So I don't know what to do. I got to get home. I'm, in, I'm incredibly high. Wait, why, did, why is lifting up the heavy tray of dishes causing you to lose it? Have you ever been really high? No. Okay. If you're really, really super high and you're in the go-go environment of a coked up like steakhouse mm-hmm, environment, mm-hmm. Like, like a giant tray of dishes is very hard to carry when you're super high and are questioning reality. It's very, right. very difficult. So it's difficult because you, you're physically unable to do it? Like you're, so you've got, so you, you've got a sense of like, I'm not sure what's real right now. You've got a sense of distorted time and like spatial relationships. Your mind, when you're super high, your mind will suddenly just go somewhere for a while. You don't really even know that it went there. And it isn't until somebody goes, hey, 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 that you go, oh, I just realized that for however many minutes I was doing this other thing. I was like <laughs> reading, I was reading a sugar packet for 25 that minutes. That sounds like you're just describing one of your podcasts. Or dreams. <laughs> Tell it to the ancient bird. So this is true. My mom couldn't pick me up. I got to the payphone and I called my grandmother, who at this point is in her 70s. And I, she did have a nosebleed. She picked me up, she had a nosebleed, and she turned... We pulled out of Jay Lattimore's restaurant on US 19, and she drove uh, northbound into southbound traffic. Boy, I'm still going to pass the nosebleed. She, I mean, was it dry? Not dry I weather. I don't remember why, but she definitely had a real life Are you sure? I feel like we need some corroboration on the nosebleed. Are you sure? Of this? this I mean, I, I'll believe she's, you. She's dead, man. Uh, uh, this, yeah. No, I, the, but she had a nosebleed. I remember she had a tissue, like probably in her right nostril, and she's going, oh, and she was very fretful. She, was, she should not have been driving. This is around the time she started telling us why can't stop signs be bigger, was mm-hmm. the thing that she would yep, say. Yep. Um, so how, do, how was the uh, going the wrong direction on US-19 resolved? It's hard. Like, so you've never been super high. No. Oh, man. Star droops. It's... Uh, <laughs> Uh, U.S. 19 is very busy. It is a main thoroughfare through the western part of the of the Sun Coast. 
um, like the Suncoast area, like through, you know, Clearwater. It's, it's a very, very, very busy road. It's not quite a highway. It's more like, like giant strip malls. But y- you do not want to drive the wrong way on US-19. It might as well be like pulling onto your uh, Jericho Boulevard the wrong way. <laughs> I can't tell if you don't remember it or you're just doing it as a bit. <clears throat> Hold for a laugh. All right. And so um, do you need me to describe what it's like to be super high? I mean, I think you have, but I'm, I'm just asking how, like, uh, practically speaking, your grandmother goes tries to go into the road the wrong way, then what happens? No, she, she did stuff like this a lot. This is an extreme example. Um, but, like, I don't remember a whole lot after that, and it took a while to wear off. So when you're super high, um, uh, I don't like it. I don't, I don't like being super high. I have been super high as recently as the early to mid-2000s from eating marijuana, and I have some stories, my friend. I have some stories. It was bad. So when you're super high, part of it is that like, you know, so you've been drunk or you've been sick and you've had that like out of body experience where you're going like, whoa, this is weird. Like I'm here and I'm not here. I can sort of see myself like I'm having this outside of this. When you're super duper high, it's really difficult to discern what is actually happening and why. Your your mind very easily attaches for its own reasons to certain kinds of things. And that might be laughing really, really hard at something that's not actually that funny to everybody else, but something will really just latch on in your mind and you, you lack executive function. So you can't stop laughing. You, you can't stop sitting in one place, whatever it is you lose, you lose a lot of ability to discern like what is or should be happening. And you kind of don't care. I mean, that's nothing new. You can guess all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this resolved itself by you just going away, basically, and then eventually coming out of it. Well, it can be really fun. I mean, as somebody said to me my first year at New College, somebody said there's, there's only two doses of drugs, famous quote, you know, too much and not enough. And that's really true. Like, there, there's, there's like a, a, a picosecond when somebody would go, I feel really good. Whoa! Right? That, that's only, no matter what you're doing, whether that's having a drink or LSD, especially especially with hallucinogenics, it's a pretty thin line between like, this is fine and like, oh my God. So anyway, I enjoyed the pot. It was fun. I would have it with friends. I didn't buy a lot of it until second, third year of college. But pot was a fun thing. And then it was, you know, so anyway, I don't want to leave pot behind because that's the big one. But then arriving at college, I had an unusual exposure to drugs even for people at new college so let me catch you up there that's the what are we on the third toadstool this is the fourth i think okay yeah first toadstool is uh health posters uh second toadstool is cousin dave third toadstool we get high school and so that's where we are right now and so i didn't i didn't drink a whole lot i had like i remember one night in particular i went out with one of the waiters after work and drank some half and refer private stock and played boston covers on guitar and came home, and I have a very clear recollection of thinking I was pulling it off fine until I got into the house. I got into the room where my mother was sitting, looking very angry, and I had to grasp the two sides of the doorway and fling myself through it. <laughs> and that did that did not Wait, sell very well. That's a great mom. great entrance. <laughs> you think you're better than me? <laughs> Stupid room, not letting <laughs> me into it. Stupid gravity. So, okay, so, and you at this point, so when you're 18, 19, you have not had, had, you've had none of the marijuana. Yep. None. 
Hmm. Were you drinking coffee? Nope. Oh, I tried. I, in high school, I tried to make uh, myself... Super taster. Super taster. Try it. Right? tried to make myself like coffee uh, for the purposes of uh, making me more awake in the morning because I, I am not a morning person. I'm a late night person and trying to get to school at whatever ungodly hour they had high school starting was killing me. I'm like, there must be something for this. So that was... Do you I remember that actively... feeling? It was criminal. It was criminal. I remember around 10th, 11th grade, it was criminal to have to be this... Our first bell was 7.15 when I was in 10th grade. Isn't that sickening? Yeah, I think ours was around at the same time. It was, it was ridiculous. Um, and then, so yeah, I was going to try coffee to help get awake in the morning, but it tasted so incredibly bad. I'm like, nope, that's not going to happen. So that was it. Hmm. So just for my own purposes, in this discussion, our journey here tonight, I'm, you're mostly a, uh, an inquisitor and observer. You have not had a lot of experience with these things. No, I, I, when you when you uh, reach the end of your journey or close to it, I'll describe. All the, all the steps along the way, why I made different decisions, but uh, but, no, there's not, but there's nothing. Do really... I have to wait till then? Yeah, no. I, was, I want you to finish. I want you to get to the good parts. Oh, Jesus, no! Now you're getting to the complicated part. <sighs> okay, we gotta get through this. Um. So, by the time I arrived at college, I had had drinks. I had had beer. I had on one very unfortunate night combined Jack Daniels with Mountain Dew. So, uh, listening to Steely Dan and um, having Jack Daniels and Mountain Dew, I could not even like look at bourbon for years. I have <laughs> never. Does the Mountain Dew make it worse somehow? You think you would have? I mean, it's, it's that's the thing is, how do you say? I mean, it's you know epistemology. Like e- each part makes it all worse. There's <laughs> no worse than that worse. Like why? Why did we? Because you know why? I'll tell you why. Because we were out of Bartles and James, and what <laughs> we had, what we had was half a handle of Jack Daniels and this Mountain Dew that we were going to drink because you know. But it was perfect though. It's, it's so perfect because it's just the age where it could have been just another night where we drank Mountain Dew. This is the part that adults don't understand. Like <laughs> adults will never. Understand understand the tenuous nature of being a teenager until you accept that that night we could have been here's a story here's a story where some young people listen to steely dan and drink mountain dew okay that's one picture here's another picture where a, a bunch of young people listen to steely dan and drink mountain dew except they put lots of jack daniels in it it's not that different except it is extremely different is there gas in the car yes there's gas in the car and so uh, I had never been so sick in my life. I was super sick, but mostly I'd had that. I didn't have much spirit stuff till college. There was the pot, caffeine pills, but I think that's pretty much it. How do you make the, the caffeine pills? Because that sounds similar to my, like, oh, God, I don't like to wake up in the morning. I'm tired. What can I do to fix that? Only rather than the, you know... The drink version of it. Vivarin, right um, Vivarin brand caffeine pills were a thing, again, with my girlfriend and me and some other friends that we would do for fun. And I mean, like, God, please, God, grant me a daughter whose idea of fun is taking caffeine pills. Um, this is in the Money Python days. And so we would have, you know, caffeine pills, you know, to go out and have lots of fun and run around and throw Kool-Aid at each other or whatever. In retrospect, it's, it was joyful, silly fun. Also going to grad night, that was something we could sneak in in her tampon holder. But that did, when they searched you at grad night, you could have Vivarin in a tampon holder and you'd be good to go. Did you find that fun? Like I've always found like any amount of caffeine that makes me that, – that I feel in any way, I found that an unpleasant feeling. But you found it you – know, I think there's two kinds of, of- – 
there's two kinds of people, you know, like you, uh, you are in this case a little bit like a John Roderick. I think John Roderick uh, generally enjoys something relaxing. Oh, he drinks coffee all the time, doesn't he? Yeah, but in terms of like what you seek out in, and obviously this varies a lot. You look at something like an Elvis, there's going to be some combinations and vitamins and laxatives and things like that. But generally speaking, you're the kind of person who likes things that key you up or you like things that cool things down. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the key me up things. I mean, I liked alcohol okay because it made me silly and stuff was funny, but Vivran was more in my wheelhouse. And so that was a thing I could take like if I was going to work late or whatever. It's, it's like basically one pill is like a cup of coffee which I was not drinking at that point. And the same thing as before, like even though you had had all these health classes that had told you all about uppers and downers and the whole nine yards, you were like, whatever. Well, this is, this is, I think in retrospect, one of the failings of that particular method of discourse was that I realized in retrospect, and again, I'm sorry, sorry to be all like, you know, second year of college, but like part of it is they hung so much of it on societal, like societal expectations and, you know, trust me because stuff, I feel like that, like you, you couldn't even, there was, it was basically illegal drugs were bad and legal drugs were something you should really be careful with. And I, I I could be wrong, but that's kind of how I remember it. I remember a very strong sense. I'm guessing this is just a whole like post Richard Nixon era thing of saying like, we have got to like, if there's no message, there's a message that kids must walk away with, which is that they must not touch these things. Can I tell you one thing that might be interesting to you? I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you had this. Just in terms of like understanding like how old I am and where I came from. So I went to high school in Florida in the 1980s. The, there's a class. So like, for example, like you take government classes, right? Like, you know, like uh, most people in fifth grade, kids take like a state history class, right? Civics class. Civics. So like for you, like your government class when you were a senior in high school, what was your government class? I don't think I had a government class senior in high school. Well, there was a pretty straight up, in Pasco County, there was a pretty straight up progression. So basically, um, 10th grade, you take, um, so like you take American history, you know, the same way you do with literature. What I'm here to tell you is that in 1984, in Newport Ritchie, Florida, there was a class, the part that came after <laughs> um, the part that came before the colon was um, like federal government. The part that came after the colon was Americanism versus communism. <laughs> it was called AVC. And so there's a class that everybody took, and especially if you were on the advanced track, you would go to Robert, Mr. Sherwood's class, and you would take AVC, which is Americanism versus communism. You didn't have AP U.S. history and government? Like, it wasn't your junior year uh, by junior He year. might have taught AP. I was not in AP. My friend Sam was in AP, and it was very clear to me that I was not cut out for AP. Right. Not not you either, right? Like, no, as a homework hater? I was in all the AP classes. So you were, the, you were a homework hater in AP? Yeah, How could no. that be? Well, it, well, I had one particular good teacher in social studies who also taught my Long Island studies class who managed to get us to write a, a five-page page, five page paper every single week. I mean, I, writing writing was one of the things that came easier to me in school, and uh, I kind of enjoyed doing it even as it was still counted as homework. Writing is one of those funny things that feels a little bit like, like a magic portal where like everybody you know finds it the most difficult thing in the world. And like for me, like a, a pop quiz, like... 200 word writing thing it was like Valhalla for me I was like oh my god yes 
Yeah, but like it was like of all the menu of schoolwork that you can do, that <laughs> right. was give me, the one. Give me that one. Give that, me that one. Right, because it, because it just seemed fun and it gave you a chance to flex parts of your brain that did yeah, not get flexed. Yeah, and you get to be a hero, yeah, like yeah. In, in 200 words or whatever. Right. Um, but, you know, uh, do you remember from a very early Roderick on the Line, you probably won't remember this. Do you remember us Vocational about, wheel? Uh, close. You remember Mr. Detlefson? Yep. Mr. Detlefson taught AP history. And he was famous for AP at our school. It was hard at our school. My friend Sam had to do this. So he always had his class fourth period. So you could take his class, take his uh, exams over lunch. So you would basically, for his final semifinals, the day of the final and the semifinal, you had to turn in a 20-page term paper. Okay, This is an 11th grader. You turn in a 20-page term paper four times a year. On the day you turn in a 20-page term paper, you take a final or a semifinal. And so this is one of the typical kinds of things that Mr. Detlefson would give you. He would hand out blue books and he would write on the board these words Discuss World War Two. <laughs> it's like John Roderick's dream class. I know, I know, right? Whereas I was in dingling history, so like I knew the drawer where Mr. Graham kept the codes with all the answers. So <laughs> we could go and distribute that and we would all just like be done early and could throw erasers at each other. So where are we at? We're at um you're, tales. you're trying to get to college you're taking fibrin yeah. because that's a legal drug and it's just like well just be careful and i'm being careful because i'm taking that out of well and, and to, just 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 to put this part behind us i don't we may not agree on the details of this but like like don't you see like there's a doesn't doesn't there feel like there's a, a distinction between like the kinds of things that like we would prefer you not get into because that's that can be kind of a bad thing well, yeah, like, i don't know I, I understand the distinction that, that was taught to you <laughs> and that was you didn't you didn't get that though I don't know if it was presented to me that way, but that's not what I took away from it. Okay, well then, just as a side note, let me ask you. Um, so, like STDs, that was for you. That was a giant, like, big red buster. Like, avoid because yeah, it, it was. It was like you said. It was the age of AIDS. So it was just like you're not just going to, you know, get. Little well, it was not only the age stuff. of AIDS. It was the age of like now we have a name for like, gay and, cancer. It, we right. didn't even understand what it was yet. So for me, again, so I graduated in '85. That was still like, wow. Like, <laughs> I think that's probably definitely pre Rock Hudson. It, it's, it's, it was still very, but herpes, like we still had herpes. Like when I was in junior high, herpes was the thing. And then it was AIDS after that. Yeah. And I think I was, since I was a little bit later, the, the big emphasis in the AIDS portion of the class, which was, Condoms. this is not, no, this is not just something gay people get. That was the big emphasis is like, you're going to think this is just a gay thing, but it's totally not. This can kill you. Yes, you. Yes, you. You know, right. actual heterosexual married normal people who are not supposed normal to hate people. can die, yeah. can die from this thing. And so it was like, sex can kill you. Like that was a big emphasis in the AIDS section. Um, so you are still escaping unscathed, uh, when we align our timelines, I'm at mm, Hoffenreffer, Private Stock, and Vivran until I arrive at college. I don't think I did anything hallucinogenic till college. And so why were you getting into that? What's, what's, what's making you turn that? Well, first of all, I'm in my first year at a school a very unusual, like, hippie school. Basically, it's a hippie school. Like, I'll, I can send you photos. Like, it was, like, if you look at photos of this school, 85, 84, 85, 86, I mean, it really, it looks like something from the 60s. Um, like, this is before Touch of Grey. This is two years before the Grateful Dead were popular again. People, people wearing, like, how many people did you know in 1985 and 86 that were wearing tie-dye? 
Like that was still, that was a thing that never ended at my school. Birkenstocks, like the whole nine. It was, it was pretty much the safety school for a lot of extremely intelligent people on the East Coast of America. In the case of um, my girlfriend in, in college, she could go to Brown and put her family in debt, or she'd go to New College and get a car. And her dad had a very strong opinion about which way to proceed with that. She went to New College and got a car. So that's what a while, like a lot of super smart misfits. It's basically the island of misfit toys. You end up at New College. There's a there's a lot of oh god, god I haven't gotten into MDMA. Um, oh my god, where do I start with this? So you've heard of MDMA. You've heard of ecstasy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy in your area right now who, for some twenty years, has been leading for a time. I'm pasting. The only sanctioned... He's basically one of the few people who can legally use MDMA in a therapeutic environment. So that guy. Uh, The very first time I took several different drugs was at that guy's house. The guy at the top there. He looks like a guy whose house you have drugs at. That's not not a flattering look. Mm Mm-hmm. He's still got the same hair from the 70s. Well, too. they, he's a super interesting guy. So so Rick started at New College, I think in the So I think he started at New College. He's born in 53. In the early 70s, he dropped out. He started a construction company, he made lots of money and then came back and graduated the year before that I did. So, and since then he's gone to Harvard and the JFK School of Government and now he started this program. He was a guy, and so understand also, I'm starting at New College the year that MDMA became illegal. And, and Rick, this, this fella, why do I not want to mention his name here? But Because this is what he did. He was a guy who believed that this can be a transformative drug, and he made it part of his mission to sort of make it available to people. I don't think this is a secret. Um, and so by my first year, second year of school, like MDMA was just around. There was also acid in different in sugar cubes and get in tabs but uh my second semester of my first year i ended up so so like you know you get assigned a roommate your first year right you, you muddle through that and then you can did you have the thing where you can like play diplomacy and like negotiate different room things with people depending on who you meet and swapping and all that did you have that in college yep okay so i met this guy who was kind of the resident guru on campus he was in his fourth year he was writing his thesis which was basically on Gödel, Escher, Bach, and drugs. And uh, sorry, Pete, <laughs> if I'm selling that short. I ended up rooming with the foremost um, hallucinogenic uh, guru on campus. I, I was living with the elder statesman of tripping drugs on campus. So months and months and months before I ever had had acid, I had had lots of organic um, hallucinogenics that my friend Pete had made available, which was interesting. And again, you don't have any recollection of the decision-making process. It's just like, you're there, you're right with this guy, this is going to happen, you're going to use it. It's not, you didn't have any... No, this is different. This is a different toadstool. Because at this point, you know, it's one thing to say, like, you've seen people be high, or you've seen people be drunk in movies. You have a, a reckon about that. But like, if your impression about taking hallucinogenics is basically like, insanity... Like it's a, that's, that's a really scary thing. You want to be, you want to know what you're getting into, be in a safe environment. I'm going too far, aren't I? First, I need to talk about why I would want to take these, right? 
Well, I mean, you're saying this is why I was saying, do you remember the thought process of like, this is something different and I really need to think about this? Or were like the, the people right. who are now in your life persuasive enough to say that this is not what you think it is and it's actually something that you well, you try? know, like like the homosexuals, um, the drug people are not actually that interested in having you be in the group. It's it's a myth. Like the last thing we need as a drug person is to have people in the group that like feel like they've been like recruited into this movement and have been manipulated. Well, it's not like they're there. it's not like they're recruiting you to do drugs. It's just that they're doing it around you and their disdain for you and they're they're, they're you know that they don't want you. Like they're they're basically negging you. Like you know we don't need you. No, Stop not exactly. I mean, like stuff. it's of all the horrible things that happen in college. I mean, I don't. I can't get into it. I mean, I I, I have so much affection for this school and the environment and. Uh, to, you know, on the one hand, to be allowed into a place where I feel like everybody was so much smarter than me. But the, the, the truth was that it was a very, as a white guy from Florida, at least, I can't say it's like this for everybody, I've never felt more alternately welcomed and challenged, which is a great thing to have when you're 19 or 20. To feel both welcomed and challenged, like, that's Ender's Game, right? I mean, like, it's great to be in here and really feel like, you know, if, if it goes okay, you could do pretty well here. You're going to have to try harder here than you've ever tried. You're going to have to work harder and push yourself harder than ever. But there was also an ethos built into the school, which was like part of that is challenging yourself with experiences, whether that's some people like hiking or going, you know, uh, scuba diving or whatever. There were all these things that were like, you need to push your boundaries to do these things. But there was, I never felt like an overt pressure to do drugs just because it was like this, you know, booga booga thing. Well, I mean, I think it's like the same way. You never felt pressure to smoke cigarettes, right? Like, but but you, but you did. <laughs> you and the you and the cigarettes. I know, I know. But I'm just saying, it's the type of thing. No one was like, "Hey, buddy, you want to try these cigarettes?" Like that was not the way you came but, to find but yourself like, smoking cigarettes. Cigarettes right? were closer to sunglasses, though. I know that's what I'm saying. Like that, it wasn't. It was you. It occurred to you to do them not because someone was pressuring you into it in the way they would show you in the health class like you'd be surrounded by peers they'd be like we're all cool because we wear sunglasses you should wear sunglasses too oh i don't want to wear sunglasses yes you do like it was merely the fact that hey all these people around you were wearing sunglasses and they never mentioned sunglasses to you or talked to you about them but at a certain point you know what like, you found yourself saying i would like some sunglasses because all these people i see around me are wearing sunglasses no okay so this is going to reflect my state of mind at the time but think about it this way um have you ever been so, like, I'm not sure how you feel about your body, but have you ever been around people who just skinny dip? Or, like, people, like, who are, like, not nudists exactly, but people <laughs> for, but, like, but like people for whom, like, going skinny dipping was not, like, a tee-hee act of rebellion. It was just a fun thing that we did. Have you ever been around people like that? No. <laughs> okay. I don't think there's any people like that on Long Island. We're all, we're all neurotic. <laughs> if we were doing skinny dipping, it is totally with purpose. Give me, give me a couple of the purposes. Well, you know, like the, the typical reason you do it, like, oh, we're gonna be, we're gonna be wild and crazy now. You show like, off your abs, you see a booby. Yeah, or just yeah, it, like totally non-organic, uh, done out of in, skinny dipping, done out of insecurity. If that makes sense. Oh, so it's more like a yeah, so like a dare thing, like a yeah, like a skateboarding thing. It's more like a skateboard stuff. Yeah, or people anything. pretending to be more drunk than they actually are. Or oh my you god, know, you guys. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. But um, 
So this analogy may not make sense to you, but like when you're around people who are like that, it's it's disarming. Because like if you're from my background, like God damn it, sure you've you've always got clothes on. You are always not skinny dipping. Like that's <laughs> oh my goodness, that's not a thing you do. So it's very uh, so like and then of course you've got all your enculturation and you got all these things that say like oh no, that's a very strange thing to do. No one would take their clothes off around other people unless they were either like a pervert or or, uh, or a rapist or a nymphomaniac, to use lots of terms from another era, right? You know what I mean, though? Mm-hmm. Like, nobody would ever take off their clothes and jump into a, a, a swimming hole unless they had, like, a dark um, ulterior motive, right? Kind of, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but at New College, I, there was not that vibe. There was more the sense of, like, hey, there's a swimming hole. We all like to jump in the pool. Yeah. That was like a that was a very strong feeling in lots of places. Like whether that was about Hegel or whether that was about climbing the side of this building that we learned we can climb, or whether that was about taking these particular drugs. There was just a strong sense of like this is this does not have to be this weird, scary thing that says things about who you are unless you want to make it that way. There could be these things that we do that are just kind of a fun thing we do. It's just exactly what you said, like a bunch of hippies. It's a hippie school. Yeah, but I the problem with that word is that, and I did learn this at New College, is that the problem with that word is there's a there's a perhaps unexpected good reason that word has cultural baggage, which is there's a lot of um, it's too much for one show. There's 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 a lot of baggage around that word because hippies are 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 selfish and lazy. But the thing is, when you meet people who think about like um, Michael Caine in Children of Men. You with me? I've seen that movie. I don't remember his character because it was too long ago. Do you remember when he lives? He lives out in yeah, his... Yeah, I have vague memories. He takes of care of his wife. Yeah, yeah. But he has this idea about the... Like, that's... So when I talk about hippies, I'm talking less Charlie Manson and, and, and more about Michael Caine. Like, these are the kind of people you would meet. People like my like this guy, Rick, who was a really terrific guy. And so, like, people would be there to, to, like, kind of guide you through these experiences and go, like, oh, you know, this doesn't have to be a weird thing. And not in a creepy way. Like, it was a really nice environment that I can't imagine producing, you know, in situ today. So those things were around, and uh, you had that opportunity. You certainly had the opportunity to screw it up and overdo it. But there were also people around you who were, like, there to, like, give you the, uh, you know, the metaphorical orange slices and bring you into the tent and say, hey, it's going to be okay. So that was an environment that was always there, and um, so sometimes I uh, I would avail myself of it. See, I can picture this. I can picture this this college, this environment, this place where you decide that this is a thing. I'm, you wanna, I'm, you I'm, wanna, I'm 19. You I'm 19. Try. Uh, I'm 19. I have no money. I'm mostly a punk rock guy. I love music. I love literature. I got you know kind of dumb long hair. I show up there. I'm really into Dylan Thomas and the Smiths. But like I'm open to what this place has to give me. That's that's where it starts. So when does it start to? Did you have to leave college before you realize that it has, it has become something else? Oh God, we we have not even. Oh dude, you're, you you've got another forty five minutes here. We have <laughs> to talk about the actual experiences. All right, which were the first experience that I had with hallucinogenics. So Pete, my roommate, uh who was very interested in organic psychedelics. So like most places you go, like you're going to go like find a dude who knows a dude and you're going to get some blotter. Not the case with Pete. Pete was like, no, 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 no. You can't trust that stuff. That's all like pharmaceutical nonsense. You have no control over that. No. So my first experience, 
with hallucinogenics was with something called Hawaiian wood rose seeds. So these are seeds you get, and you can go, you know, Google it. And these are things that you can take in trip. So uh, I think they coat them artificially with something like cyanide, so people will not take them for this reason, right? Sounds right? great. Yeah. No, no. It's these, the, these are the ones without the cyanide, though. It's part of the ritual. No, no, no. It's part of the ritual. You take the Hawaiian wood, wood rose seeds and you sit around together. Oh, wait, no, sorry. This is the second one. But but still. <laughs> so 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 you sit there with a, <laughs> with a razor blade scraping the poisonous like layer. No no part of your brain is, is dental plan. Lisa needs braces at this point. <laughs> or what are we doing now? We're scraping the poison off of the hallucinogenic seeds with razor blades. Just keep doing it. Don't get AIDS. Scrape, 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 <laughs> scrape. And the other one was uh, the one before this. So there was Hawaiian wood rose seeds. Uh, there was, oh, the first one was um, called, what was it called? It was not peyote. It wasn't even as normal as peyote. It was called San Pedro, I think. Sand something. And basically, it was like this tar of a cactus that you'd make into a tea. That's vomiting. On that episode of The Simpsons, too. Oh, no, no. Vomiting. <laughs> well, I did not have any Sam Elliott wolf to guide me. You vomit as part of the process, as part of the purging. And so that was my very, very, very first tripping experience, I think, was with, I want to say it was called, not San, could it be San Pedro? Vomiting was part of it? Oh, yeah. It's part of the purging. Mandatory or suggested? Well, you know, should you put holy water on your face before you walk in the church? Like, don't be a dick. San Pedro cactus, uh, Echinopsis pecanoi. Yeah, so that was the first one. We made a tea and drank that. Hawaiian woodrose seeds. Scotch broom was a thing that you could add to your pot that would add, like, extra hallucinogenic abilities to it. So, like, these were all things I tried before I ever tried acid or before I ever tried... Um, XC before I ever tried, um, uh, any of the other things. Yeah. And so obviously you like them because you kept doing them? No, not always. No? Well, no, <laughs> like, but I mean like the first time you run, like you run, you jog, right? Like, yeah, like yeah. if you had to judge like whether you were into fitness based on the first time you, you took a run, how would you? Right, but, but, but so the, there was the promise of even though this is weird and maybe not to your liking, just keep going because there is a there is a there's something on the other side of this that's going to be good. Well, there's a part of this that I am not prepared to totally just leave behind as like silly hippie stuff, which is that you know whatever you bring to that, as they say, trip, like that's meaningful. Like whatever you you know have to bring to that is mm, you can learn from that. So like if you are a very caustic angry paranoid person like this is not going to be an occasion for you to go and disco dance for five hours like you may have to deal with some stuff so that was understood to be part of the uh, part of the journey in the same way that like you know if you bring more stuff with you in your backpack you're you know your back's going to be tired so it is funny though it is funny though that even in at that point when people were kind of re-experimenting with stuff like LSD. It is kind of funny that before I had done any of the normal ph- pharmaceutical stuff, I had been scraping poison off of seeds. So I've said a lot. Catch me up. I've got no parallels here. I'm just on, I'm just with you're you on this You're telling me you've never scratched poison off a seed? No, you're you're telling me you've never done that? Vomit. You've never I've, done that at all? No, no. I've never done any of these things. Would never do any of these things. Would never occur to me to do this. Just not... You're so far past 
what I would what I would have even but the core of the, the core of the question like from months and months and months ago I feel like is like why do you why did you do this what does it feel like like you tell me like, like yeah let's, no let's you're getting you're getting chase. it I just want I want I we need to get to the the part where it takes a turn because so far it sounds all pretty good right well yeah but also like so you know me right like I'm an old guy like I'm funny Merlin who's an old guy and I, he laughs at people with tattoos and people with with dumb haircuts and stuff but like you know i look at people who do that and go like oh my goodness what a giant amount of commitment to such a trivial thing what a weird sad thing um sorry that's how i feel (laughs) but like for me like the commitment to saying like ah you know this is going to be my little token adventure this is going to be my little grail quest like for the next 16 hours i'm going to like see where this thing takes me and it might really screw me up i don't know but like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, mar- march into the town and see how it goes. And that was the truth is that in the end, I was more of a tourist than I wanted to be. I like to think that I was taking a journey, but the truth is, I was getting high and I learned some stuff. Sometimes I had some terrible trips that I still wonder to this day how much they have an effect on how I think about things. <laughs> so, talk about the boomeranging effect of, of all those posters. Like, seriously, like sometimes at 2.30 in the afternoon, I'm thinking like, oh, my God, I wonder if that one time I did sugar cube acid in the first court at New College is why I'm feeling this way right now. Like, it occurs to me. Like, the thing, it could be like reversing cause and effect that because all those scary things they showed you in health class gave you your bad trips. We're not warnings of the trip to come, but rather. (laughs) No, 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 it's, it's, it's a good theory, but I don't, no, I don't think so. Because the things that you feel, so this one particular bad trip was from LSD. It was from, of all things, like sugar cube LSD. And uh, I just remember this one night. So Pete was away for the night. And my girlfriend and I, the one with the Magnavox uh, writer, right? The one with the uh, word processor. We, we were sitting in the room and we were having the LSD. She was doing not that great, but I was doing really, really bad. And I've, I've described this to John, but one of the low moments of my early adulthood was sitting there and thinking, Thoughts move through my mind through some kind of like viscous liquid. No viscosity is moving through my mind right now. And as I sit here right now in Sarasota, Florida, I will have no way of knowing whether I am thinking the last thought that I will ever think. Oh, I, I remember the last thought you okay. ever think. So, so that in itself, you go, ha, 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 funny guy with drugs. That's silly. Well, what it's to, like being in a dream when you're in the middle of it. it makes well, perfect sense. I want y'all to stop for just a minute and really, so like setting aside your like, you know, uh, you know, Toyota Tacoma idea of the world. Stop for a minute and imagine that you had the nearest certainty in your entire world was that you were thinking the last thought, or perhaps the penultimate thought, that you would ever think and how you would feel about that. It's a tough night. Yeah. I consulted the I Ching. That did not help. <laughs> I had an I Ching that I was consulting. That did not help at all. I drank some water. I walked around. I danced to the talking heads. Nothing would help. <laughs> so I don't regret that. Uh, then there was one night that involved 2CB. You can Google that. I had some 2CB in New Order, and that did not go well. Oh, yeah, there it is. So basically, in my post-college 
career, I took hallucinogenics maybe half a dozen times after that, at the most. I am prepared to entertain your questions. So you think this is the, this thus far, like I said, despite the bad trips and everything like this, this was a thing that you were doing with yourself, self-exploration, trying to challenge yourself as the ethos of the school has, had, uh, you know, you had bought into that ethos of the school that you should challenge yourself in all these different ways. This was one of the ways. And you graduate new college and you feel like all those things that you did were an important part of your time in new college. And they weren't, helped, they weren't unimportant for sure. Yeah. And they helped you grow as an individual, I guess. Well, I mean, like there's still a part of me that uh, kind of clings to this. Like, do you remember the Seinfeld? Forgive me if we've talked about this here, but do you remember the Seinfeld when, um, you know, Kramer declares that he's going to remodel his apartment as a ski mm-hmm. lodge. Yep. And Jerry's like, you're, you're never going to do that. And, and Kramer goes, of course I'm going to do that. And so they make a bet. And then when, when Kramer bails on the bet, Jerry's like, uh, so how's it going with the ski lodge? He's like, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. He goes, well, you got to pay me. And Kramer goes, no, 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 no. I decided not to do it. And Kramer, and uh, Jerry goes, that's the bet. The bet was that you wouldn't do it. And that's, that's kind of how I feel, uh, where I feel like the doing it was the bet. Like there was nothing, there was no guarantee that this was going to be the essay that gets me into life or uh, enlightenment and that whatever baggage I brought along with me. So I don't know. Like, I, don't, I don't know how much it was just like, God, now you got me inside my own head. Because now I'm thinking, like, how much of that was like was like actual just like pharmacological bit flipping? But there is something very profound about realizing your own limitations in a situation like that. You know what I mean? In the same way, perhaps that someone might realize something at the 17th mile of a marathon, where you go like, Ah, I didn't really really get this about myself until I did it. And so, you know, I'm reluctant to just reject all that stuff and say oh that's silly you know what's the phrase you use uh, like brain garbage like well, I, the dreams are brain garbage you were awake during these things yeah 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 but i mean like you know whatever ended up coming up uh, came out of somewhere you know what i mean all the things i felt insecure about or all the things i felt like like whatever the thought that my brain was mm-hmm. a viscous fluid mm-hmm. that can't move mm-hmm. that came out of somewhere so i don't know if it that might have been brain garbage <laughs> that could have been a little bit of brain garbage. No, but honestly, some however many years later, I do sometimes, sometimes wonder, like, oh, God, that was probably a bad idea. Well, that's the thing. Like, you know, as you get farther away from it, does does your view of it change? Like, would you, you know, if you could go back, uh, would you do the same? Obviously, you wouldn't do the same things now because you're old and tired. But, like, would you go back and tell the young version of yourself that you should or shouldn't do this? Like, does just, right. you know. Like, do you look back on it with regret? Does it seem neutral? Does it just seem like, well, there's no path, other path I could have taken because this no, has turned right. me into who I am, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's a really good question. Dan and I have been, um, uh, as we record this, we've been talking on Back to Work about, like, his wife's concern that things like, you know, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth could be having some health impact on the family. Like, should the kids not use Wi-Fi when they're on the iPad, et cetera, et cetera. This sounds like Dan's concern, not his wife's concern. I, I totally agree. And and the thing I said was, well, you know, I, I got to say, that is well within the 3 to 14% pocket of, like, I would not be completely surprised if some part of that turned out to be true. But... Over here, this is whole other area of things that we know are like like super dangerous. Like that, there are like known problems. So, 
I don't know. When I look back, I think about like how much of it was purely for recreation. And, you know, I'm not trying to like make this grand. Part of it was to just have fun and like have an altered state of mind and laugh at stuff and listen to Brian Eno and dance. Um, but there was a part of it that was like actively trying to challenge myself to say like, you know, if I, if, if my brain is provoked by these things, how will it respond? It was kind of my own like personal void kampf for like, <laughs> so I don't necessarily like regret it, but there are times when I sometimes I think like, I wonder like how much it would take to alter the chemistry of my cognition and decision-making. And that I think about it. All right. So, but I'm still saying that thus far during all these things, despite possible misgivings and or whatever, that it is for the most part, things that you did that you wouldn't immediately put into the regret bucket. Because bucket on the side, it's like, boy, do I really regret oh, this. I'm sorry. None, I'm sorry. Yes. None of these things yes. No, no, no. I, yes. So thank you for clarifying. Yes. Like the regret bucket. Oh my goodness. Ah, there are so many more giant regrets that are just... These right, that, that, are, that you don't have to uh, hem and haul over categorizing. You're like, nope, totally regret. That well, goes there, there. there are not ones where I have to sit there like Mendeleev. Like, I don't have to sit there and like hold up these two, you know, phyla and wonder where it goes. God, no. Ah, the the, the Brobdenegian like giant regret stuff is like, oh my God, there are so many times I could have just been a better person (laughs) and i went with the easy thing and was an asshole and i'm so sorry i did that like how do i feel about taking 2cb one night at rick's house and listening to power corruption and lies by no order yeah that could have gone better that could have gone better it was at a kind of a vulnerable time but like there were a thousand other times that year that i could have treated people better and i knew it and that's the part i regret the flowers cover on that one right yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, nice pull. Yeah, totally. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I, I relate to one half of all your stories. <laughs> oh, God, that's plenty. Yeah, so I was um, seeing a girl at that time who was empirically better than me. Like, she was, like, I was so outclassed. She was, like, the M5 of girlfriends. Does it was, that help uh, at all? What, Ioni Sky and uh, Say Anything. That's right. That's right. I should not want to take out uh, Diane Court again. She was my Diane Court. She was amazing. And uh, she and I had, had taken drugs that night at Rick's house. Not Rick. It was us. It was us. But he had this really cool house that he had built. Had sliding walls. It, it was an amazing house. Yeah. And I, uh, so that night, I had one of the darkest, dark nights of the soul I've ever had. And to make matters worse, somebody who had access to the turntable had put on a Wyndham Hill sampler. Not bad by itself. Not a bad thing. But it was skipping, and I was the only person in the entire house who n- noticed that it was skipping for like four hours. And I, and <laughs> Sounds I didn't, like a great night. Yeah, taking 2CB taking two and listening to like George Winston on repeat was rough. So was it really skipping for four hours, or was it skipping for 30 seconds? But it seemed like four hours. <laughs> I've, made a, I've made a journey of the last... 30 years of going back and trying to find that particular compilation with that particular track. Oh, don't do it. I think it was actually Shadowfax. It was probably, it might not have been George Winston. It was probably Shadowfax because it had violin, but uh, it haunted me. But to this day, I can still listen to uh, Power Corruption and Lies and go like, I have like, I feel a little zip in my spine um, 
for drug reasons. <laughs> oh my god, I'm a sleeper cell. Oh my god. It just occurred to me. I am a sleeper cell controlled by New Order. Yeah. Oh, we aren't we all. So you had some beers. But no, so you have to, I still feel like there's a, there's a later phase we need oh, to no, get there's through. There's so much to get through. I, I, yeah, there's so much without time. There's so I much know, more. but like what I, we need to turn the corner here. We need to get to the point where you that, that where where this it, it goes in a regret bracket. You decide that like like so many people before you, like John no. Roderick, you decide eventually that this is a thing you're not going to do See, anymore. See, that's why. the problem. That's the problem with this narrative. This narrative wants to have the third act be about regret. And, like, you sure can do that because that is the arc that will sit well with most not, stories. Not so much regret, but, like, where it becomes a thing that you make a conscious decision not to do anymore. Right. To paraphrase my friend Adam, that's not for me. Yeah. Or just, like, you move on to do something else. But, like, at some point you decide that you're going to do something different. And why? Like, otherwise, why wouldn't you keep doing it? Uh, I, had, you know what I, mean? I had two experiences post-college with going back to um, new college for like reunion events or like graduation graduation i don't know it's like where you went to school but um you know it's a big event it's like the home like hippie homecoming hippie i hate that word sorry mike like that's a terrible (laughs) word like let's not get at the people at new college like the people that i loved at. i I don't see it as like you can you can use it as a pejorative but like it's also like it encompasses a lot of good things too so i don't feel like when it gets said you have to think that it's an insult well the, the, the the thing that's difficult is like like um yeah, so I don't even know what, what kind of branding to put on this. but So anyway, you go back, and maybe you hang out with your pals, and you're five years, six years, eight years past college. It's fun. And you go and you have the LSD. I had some very fun experiences, especially because now at this point, I've kind of reached the pro, the prosumer level with these things. So at this point, I've got a job. i got a band. I'm a person. I have a partner at that point. And we would go and do these things and it would be fine. And we would drive home afterward. Like it was a, that's a nice, like, this is my version of the big chill was probably going back in the uh, 1990s, going back to college. But what can I tell you? I can tell you that I should never eat pot. <sighs> I've had two very bad experiences with eating pot infused things in the last 15 years that have led to terrible consequences. So that was one where I went, you know what, the, the, the payoff of this, like I'm a grown ass man, I have a blog to produce, like I need to not be somebody who passes out at a kids in the hall show because he ate one eighth of a brownie. So like it's gross off your list for obvious reasons, like have a bad reaction to this. It's like a uh, food you don't like or allergic to. But like, milk. I don't know. The thing is, I don't have a cautionary tale on this. I do not have the one, like I drove my car in the river. No, story it doesn't have to be. This. I mean, like obviously again, again I haven't listened to Roderick on the line where he has a huge, not, I don't know if you'd call it a cautionary tale, but it's like just years and years of like, this is the way I'm living my life. And it eventually <laughs> right. does lead up to like, at every point you think it's going to be like, and that's when I decided that this is no way to live my life. But nope, it goes on for another 10 years. But that's part of what made, makes every part of John's story, I hate to talk about him on this show, but that's part of what makes John's story so interesting is you really get that, like, when you hear when you hear the story of John, like, losing the fight, it wasn't enough to lose the fight. He had to be knocked down. And... And to stay down for years and get stomped on. (laughs) Yeah, but the thing is, it wasn't, nobody wanted to knock John's teeth out on the curb. It was almost like John needed that. Like that was his signal to go to sleep. 
Or or he could have just kept going like that for his entire life. That was also he went, an option. He went for a pretty – like his stories are fun and they're silly and ha, ha, ha. But like some of his stories are not too far off the truth. And so like, you know, some of John's – some of John's stuff, like it was – like he was waiting for the world to send him some kind of message. Like, you know, so maybe it's about trans- transcendence and maybe it's about uh, limitations and maybe it's about – you know what, John? <laughs> it's time to go to sleep crunch so i never had that but so like okay so for my uh, fifth toadstool or sixth toadstool mm, not super into the drugs in fact if you follow me on twitter or other places you'll see me make jokes about the marijuana because i think the interest in marijuana is not as great and useful as many people think um no i don't do drug stuff these days i have drinks so you never had a point in your in any of your long history where you had any sort of addiction that you felt like was a problem in your life. Oh God, yes. For, to to any of these types of drugs, like didn't you have the whole thing with amphetamines at, at a certain point that like it wasn't well, it was no longer a thing you did for fun, but it was a thing you had to do to just to maintain. No, I missed that. That was that was that was really good. And like, and not least because so here's the test. The test is when somebody thinks they have ADHD. Like, give them Adderall, like, give them speed. And, like, if they see it as, hey, party time, like, let's go listen to, you know, uh, All Right Now by Free. Like, that's, (laughs) that doesn't happen. The funny thing is, when people have the kind of garden variety ADHD I have, like, you go, oh, no, 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 I don't want to listen to music. I want to do my work. So, (laughs) for me, it was more like, ah, this is a thing that, like, makes me very centered. So... But having said that, when I decided to get off those because I did not want to be on it forever, I still miss it. I still miss knowing that 21 minutes from now, I can be on top of my game like I've never been on top of my game. I miss that. Do, do, do you follow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you but still, it was you decided not to do it because you just didn't want to be be a thing that you did for the rest of your life. Because why? Like well, why? Jumping, it was helping we're you. We're jumping way ahead to the ADHD stuff. But long story short, I went to a shrink uh, who agreed that I have ADHD and gave me prescriptions and therapy and like an iterative approach to like let's try and make this thing better. Ah, it's a very long story. But long story short, we got to like. Do you want the actual story? The actual yeah. story is like I had jury duty and I had not been in to see him in a month. So if you get Adderall, which is speed, you have to get a physical prescription in your hand. And I hadn't seen him. I hadn't got my prescription. I was like, I got jury duty. I can't do this. Long story short, I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to stop this. Good idea, bad idea. I don't know. But like in that moment where I was feeling very overwhelmed by work stuff, uh, plus parent stuff, plus jury duty stuff, plus drug like have to carry paper to place to get pill stuff i said you know what screw it like i'm gonna wean myself off this so i weaned myself off the personality things that i was taking which were very helpful but you know a drug and i had this kind of like william burroughs moment where i was like do i really want to be having someone in my family or future jetson's uber drive me to this place with a physical prescription to buy speed when i'm 80 so i stopped but why wouldn't you want to have someone drive you to someplace to get a, something when you're 80 that's some, something that helps you? Like, why I wouldn't do. you want I to do. do I do. I still want it. And I still consider going back and talking to them because it actually, it was not, 
merely a fun thing. It was something that helped me a lot. I've thought about going back. But I was in the beginning as a why did you, what was it that made you stop doing that rather than saying, I don't want to have to be someone who goes to the store to buy have milk you ever, when I'm Have you ever interviewed to be an assistant manager at Carl's Jr.? I have not. Why? Uh, I don't, I've never applied to Carl's Jr. Because you don't want the job and probably wouldn't get it? Uh, sure, yeah. Okay. Go ask for ADHD drugs inside of an HMO. Why is it uh, promise they don't want they don't want to give them to you? Well, there's an entire puppet show you go through that I went through for five years before I finally found somebody who said, "You know what? You've you've totally got ADHD and you need this." When you go into that process, you have to like run this gauntlet of people who are like, "Well, obviously, you know, like everyone, you're some biker who's here to get hyped <laughs> up." It's an incredible pain in the ass, and it's and then once you've got it, you still got to go refill it. You know what? I'll probably do it again at some point, but. It's it's about as fun as interviewing to be an assistant manager at Carl's Jr. So if it was as easy as going to pick up milk, you'd still be doing it? If it were as easy as calling Instacart to deliver me milk, no <laughs> question. Right, like, yeah. No, 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 no. Because milk it does help. I forgot. But, 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 but. Like, the thing is, and like, you're... you're you're smart enough to know this. Whatever, like, whatever you add to your life that is an improvement, you know what? Let's go back to engineering. Whatever you add to your life, there are consequences. Like, mm-hmm. whatever one axis you think you're working on, there are always two, at least, at least two more axes that you have got to keep in mind. So, yeah, the Adderall makes me feel great, but like, that means I could be super hyped up in the afternoon or I could get super tired by 5 30. And so there's a part of me that thinks like, uh, you know what I mean? Like there's a part of you that goes like, I, I want to see if I can power through this. So you think you're on a more even keel now without it? Mm, <laughs> I'm on a different, know. I'm on a different keel. Do you feel, I think it was a discussion you had on another podcast. Do you feel more like yourself without it or less like yourself? Like, you know, well, this will make no sense to you probably, but like, so we say, like, do you feel like yourself? Like, you feel more like yourself, you know? Well, and more like the self that you like to be or more like, so what if your self is like I'm 75% tired and depressed? What if that is like what you recognize as who you are? Well, you know what? God damn it. You should have some, uh, <laughs> some Lexapro. Well, that Lexapro is going to help you not feel like yourself. If your self is, mm-hmm, I really mm-hmm. feel like I'm well below the baseline. Hmm. So does that mean you shouldn't take that? But, you know, so, like, how do I feel? Well, like, I remember when I very first started taking this stuff back in the day, uh, it had a profound effect where I was, like, I was just, I, it, was, it was like, you know, the people in Manhattan who have dreams about finding, like, a house inside their house through a secret door. I discovered this conduit to um, writing that I never had before that was, you know, should have been there all along if I tried, but where I could just, like, do whatever I wanted to do. I could just move my fingers and writing would come out. And like a lot of the stuff that people love that I've written was like from that period, you know? So it's very tempting. You know, Philip K. Dick, like it goes through my mind. I'm like, I'm always thinking like, ah, is that a thing I should do? And so I'm trying to, what I'm trying to put on the scales is the things that are stopping you. You've listed the hassle, the, the health system hassle. The sort of yeah. indign- indignity and pain in the ass and just general crap associated with that. What else is on the the anti angle? And I guess the 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 different keel that is not universally better than the keel you're on. Like because like you said, it might be right. 
wired in the afternoon or grumpy or tired or whatever at different times. And that's a different thing. What else is on the negative side stopping you? Other negative stuff. So, yeah, there's the, at least for now, you've got to go present a prescription in public. And, like, you know, the the, the grace note there is, like, even as you realize that America thinks you're a junkie. Like, you know, that shouldn't matter. But, like, there's this part of it that's like, well, you've got to go get this prescription with a watermark plus five other means of detecting this is not, you know, false. You know, because, God bless him, my psychiatrist is not a guy who would write a pad full of these and say, like, have a nice year. Like, you've got to, just so we're clear, you've got to go somewhere, be in a room, get a phys- If you're doing this legally, you've got to get a physical prescription for your medical condition. And then, like, so, like, like they don't do this for cancer. <laughs> but, like, if you have ADHD, like, you have to go and prove you're not a mega freak. You get the physical prescription. You go, you get it approved, you get it filled out. Uh, and there was a part of me that just as much as that helped me, there was a part that like said, <sighs> maybe a little bit like John Roderick. Like I worry that the cold medicine is going to lead to a bigger thing. Like I don't want to be on this forever. And I don't think, I honestly don't think it's a childhood like heroin huffing thing. I think it's just more like, Ugh, I just, I just don't want to be on that train. Well, what is the big thing that you're afraid of it leading to? Because didn't you do all those big things in college and they were mostly neutral to positive experiences? Yeah, but nobody lives at Disney World. Like, nobody has picked a, a, a mise-en-scene in Pirates of the Caribbean where they decide to build a condo. Like, I don't... Like, for all those little vacations, those um, intellectual psychotropic vacations, like, by Monday, I was ready to to be back in short story class. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it wasn't a a commitment and there's just like, as much as I rarely think about it in terms of the whole like flash forward Gilligan's Island, where will I be in 40 years? The idea of me being this, this frail person who who can't get with life without their piece of paper, (laughs) the government makes them get every month. (sighs) made me sad. And yet I still think about it. I still think about like, should I go through all that again? and get back in that system and maybe try it. Because I think we are talking about something kind of different. I mean, like, we're talking here about, like, on the one hand, there's, like, do you like to dance on a Friday night while your brain's a little fuzzy versus, like, like what do you, how do you need to feel at 10.30 in the morning to do your work? You don't suffer from this at all, right? So you're not drinking the coffee. You, no. you show up and you just do the thing. Well... I don't know if I do the thing, but I, I'm the same. I'm the same person. The but I whole mean, time. you're a very rational person who doesn't seem to need any kind of special warm up or yoga to be rational. No, not really. I mean, like I said, I, I, my experience is so different than yours that I don't think there's any any part in which they can relate to each other at all. Um, and and yeah, like that's why that's why I'm trying to figure out. How, why, at the various points, the different decisions that you made and how, like, how you're living now comports with, you know, that there's not some sort of decision you made about this, other other than the, the, the idea that you don't want to be doing this all the time because it seemed like a dependency type thing, because you realize that this is the type of thing that you would have to do all the time, and it just seemed like a never-ending tunnel of dealing with this prescription stuff. Everything else was like, well, those were fun things I did when I was younger, but I didn't do them all the time. Like you said, I'm ready to go to short story class on Monday. It was fine. Um, now you don't feel like 
there's any place in your life for even that kind of recreation because come weekends you're <laughs> taking care of your daughter and it's not like you're going to say okay honey uh, you know i'm going to go and be a little fuzzy and dance in this room for a while that doesn't fit in with your life anymore if you didn't have a kid would it fit in right. if you're married would right it, yeah. right right no um i don't know i don't think so i don't think so um there's, the, there's still the same part of my brain that says, like, I wonder how much of this I'm parsing based on how much I appreciate or respect the culture of the people who are doing that. I don't appreciate, enjoy, or respect the culture of people who smoke pot every day, by and large. And if that makes me a bad person, like, that'll have to be okay. I think the whole, like, smoking pot every day thing feels weak to me. But let me ask you this. Like, give me... So, in terms of your toadstools, give me a few highlights so like i've described a lot of things where like i went over the edge of what i thought was acceptable socially health-wise whatever things where i I took a chance because i thought there was a reason whether that was for status or cheap trick or intercourse like in your case give me a handful of toadstools where you went out and took a chance on whatever and you knew you were taking a chance I don't think there's any. I don't like the only the only thing that comes to mind is the I don't buy the, that. I don't the, buy uh, that. is the alcohol thing because but even that it's like as had been presented to me by that point the 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 sort of effects of alcohol and the risk factors for it all things considered it was like the safest thing in the world. No, no real history of alcoholism in my family. Um, uh, it, the odds are and most people uh, alcohol is legal. Most people can drink in moderation and be fine. Um and so it was a safe bet to say, let's try this to see if it's something that I that I like doing. Turns out I didn't. Right. The end. That's as close as you get. That's it. Okay, but like, and I don't mean this to be like a quid pro quo Clarice, but uh-huh. for example, like there must have been times, so like the drug thing, let, let, let's abstract the drugs thing to be about more than pharmaceuticals that cause an effect. There must have been a time in your high school, like era like when you were still living with your parents so your siblings you have an older sister Sister. Mm -hmm. okay so like give me an example of something where you knew exactly what you were doing in high school is there an example of something where you not not because i'm trying to like get dirt on you but more because i want to understand your need to push against the edges of the uh, holodeck so like give me an example of something where you knew you were flying in the face of expectations. Yeah, right. maybe like refusing to do homework qualifies as that, and, and not not. So a, you never snuck out. Um, there's a couple of times in high school where I would be out at parties for a long time. Did your uh, parents? But, did your parents but, mind? But they would fall asleep. So they don't know what time I came home, and they would ask okay. me, and I would tell them in earlier time. There was times when they left town and I had uh, people over at the house, but I did a pretty good job of cleaning up after that. <laughs> Um, there were times when my parents were home when that happened, and they liked it worse when they were home. <laughs> They're better when they were, I was doing it when they weren't home. Um, but nope, nothing. I mean, like I said, I don't, it wasn't particularly pushing the boundaries of, of anything other than uh, wasting my potential, as I was told repeatedly. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Yeah, yes. Not, not working up the potential. That's oh, the, the, I, story, heard, uh, the story of my uh, I've heard that one life. a couple times. Yeah. This is unwritten in every freaking report card of my life. Um, hmm. until, they so, stop, until they stop having teachers write things. So I'm Billy Pilgrim, and I'm unstuck in time. Who are you? Like, when you're... So, like, you're this um, tourist in all of these funny, dumb stories of mine. Like, so y- you don't have, like, up to and including college, you don't have times where you really feel like, 
I'm sorry, I don't mean to hem you in, but mm-hmm. are there times when you took a giant swing at the ball, not knowing how it would turn out, or better put, maybe jumped off the cliff, not knowing where it would go? In your in your in your youngish life, like what are like like your version of like taking the dumb sugar cube asset? Like, do you have things where you took a giant risk and you didn't die? Don't uh, physically speaking, I did a lot of things that could have potentially killed me. Uh, fast, fast driving. Uh, yeah, that, but even before that, I would say, uh, things I did on my bicycle or with climbing trees or jumping off the roofs of schools that were pretty ill-advised, uh, and routinely I would do things on my bicycle that I would, or or even skiing, that I would not do today, even if I could go back and have the the body of a 17 or 18 year old. Right. Because I realized the risks involved were very large and it was just generally dumb, um, but yeah, and just live through them through through dumb luck. That's the only thing I think I can come to because I was physical sort of daring and pushing your pushing your body to limits and pushing you know high speed vehicles and jumping from high things or climbing very high things. Kind of like the thing you alluded to climbing the side of the building. Like that's not a good idea, really. From so, an adult perspective, it seems perhaps not a good idea. Mm, perhaps not good. So I mean, I don't mean to keep like trying to this up but like so what's an example of a time in your young life when you deliberately made yourself feel exposed uh don't know it's not a thing that i would do like if i if i had it's not but a you choice never had that, a chance where you said like you know like you're the school like you're the dean of the college and you're going to tear off your vest and jump in the pool at the end of the movie did mm-hmm. you have moments where you did something that was irrational that felt like even if it was a 10 to 30% bet like there could be something great that came out of this by trying something kind of wild. Did you have things like that? Well, like I said, I, the only things I could think of are physical. Like I distinctly remember I was probably in either kindergarten or first grade jumping off the roof of the abandoned elementary school near me and I, there was no reason to do it. There was no reason to climb up on the roof. There was no one <laughs> you don't, there. You don't need a reason. <laughs> an, yeah, and, you got, and once you get up there, it's really high. Why are you jumping off? Like it is entirely a self-contained uh, nonsensical act. You're doing it I guess to see if you can or because of the thrill or whatever. I mean, I very easily could have broken my ankle coming down on that hard. But that's one of my earliest and strongest memories is that landing. But that whole activity, that whole like ride your bike down to the school, find a way to climb onto the roof of the school, jump off the roof of the school onto the hard, uh, dusty ground. What is the point of that activity at all? There is no like big payoff at the that's end. A, of that. That's a level one dungeon. That's not it, a tough it, one, right? It is. It is entirely just like you know, rationally speaking. Like what? What are you even doing? You're trying to see, I guess, what's you know, is this, what what's possible to be done. Similarly, if it's a climbing high places, why do you, why are you climbing on up to high places? Once you get up there, sometimes you have a view. But that's not why you're doing it. You look at something as up high and you say, "I wonder if I could get to the top of that thing." And climbing was a big thing for me as a kid trees or any other type of thing i could climb and i did it all the time and uh i could have died many times over because you're really really high up there and no one is around and but your brain is not done developing and that's not how you think yeah although i still i mean like you get older like skiing i would ski way too fast um (laughs) at the edge of the limit of my my little legs to be able to hold the edge during the turn knowing that there are trees on either side that if i you know slip on some ice and go towards them that'll be it for me i'm not wearing a helmet because it was days before helmets and right. skiing right right um that's just how i skied right
And that that was the more obvious upside. That was just a thrill, right? So that 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 makes more sense than than climbing out of school and jumping off of it or climbing up to high places. Because skiing is fun, right? But like, it's a pretty normal kid thing. Like, I think about like with my kid. She's an only child, like me. But she's. It's only when she's being a little bit rambunctious that I realize how calm she is. But like, it's funny because I'll see her do it like a dumb thing that I did around her age, along the lines of like, I'm just gonna sing this one note for as long as I can. <laughs> Isn't that adorable? Yes. Ah! I'm familiar with the phenomenon. So, like, she's in the bathtub, and she's just screaming. But you know what? That was me pretty much all the time when I was her age. Then I think about stuff like, I think about stuff like, um, you described jumping off the old elementary school, right? But, like, even just, like, memories of, like, a certain maple tree and, like, which known branch you jump from that's higher from this other one. Like, you would do that. You push yourself. I think about, like, the things we would do at, like, even at, at church on Wednesday nights, which was, like, the rock and roll night at church. It was, like, the, the like, potluck dinner rock and roll night. And, like, we would do these, like, we would come up with the craziest games that involved jumping off a wall and over this all over other walls. You remember, like, the dumb games you come up with? These, like, non-existent, completely abstract accomplishments that you come up with. Like Calvin that, Ball. Right, exactly like Calvin Ball. Like, like the whole point of this game is like you made this up, you made the rules, and like whatever that's going to be, it's what everybody does. And like the main rule of of these games is like you agree to the silly rules of this game, much less than you necessarily excel at this game. If you excel at this, that'll be great. But do you remember that feeling of like what that was like for me? That's being ten, jumping a ramp, and like cutting my like like cutting like basically like a. Ten and a half inch cut into my left leg. Oh yeah, I forgot about the the, the bikes thing. Yeah, we were totally. If we would go, we'd ride our bikes around the neighborhood and look at the on garbage day and look at all the garbage that people had put out, yeah. looking for something that you can build a ramp out of in people's garbage. And then we would really? build the ramp. Yes, and then we would build the ramp in the middle of the road, and then we would jump off of it. Half the time, the ramp would collapse, and the first person goes on it, and they'd go over their front wheels and get all scraped up. Um, and then also, we would use the go in the woods and ride our bikes and the bigger kids the, the bigger big kids who were who were stronger would have used tools like these like you know 18 year olds tools to build like big dirt ramps like bmx type ramps things right, and we right. would use the ramps that they built they were like the uh the mayans who had built these runes before us and we'd say yes they built ramps um <laughs> yes and in many cases uh, many many of my friends ended up getting stitches and break, breaking bones on those various things i was lucky enough not to but i sure as hell took my share of spills I was just more flexible, I guess. I am. Um, when I think about that, I think about, oh, God, I have such a clear recollection in 1976. It was the year we moved into this particular house. I had a giant crush on the girl across the street who had a much nicer house than us. And uh, we were both really into the the Captain and Tennille memory serves. <laughs> we were very into the Osmonds. We were very into like ABC musical TV. Uh-huh. And uh, I just remember down by her house. So you go down this street, you go down and down, you take a left turn, you go down. And somebody had taken like, you know, a piece of plywood and put it over a rock. The the most basic kind of like Stanley Kubrick (laughs) ramp. And um, it was important to me, I think, knowing that Melissa just might see it <laughs> yeah it might see your mighty six inch jump off of your rock on uh, plywood on top of rock which by the way we did too that was the the bottom level of ramp building was play piece of plywood and anything that you can stick on it even just a right. rock plywood on rock but um 
Yeah, it was important to me to impress Melissa. And I remember coming around and I had this really crappy bike. It was a bike that was a little small for me. I don't know why, but I'd taken off the sissy bar. The thing that I would say was, yeah, it looks like a girl's bike to you. I took off the sissy bar, so it makes it faster. <laughs> I might have said drag coefficient. I'm not sure. But all I know is that like, mm-hmm. I thought the less bike, the better. Mm-hmm. I hit this ramp, what, 15, 10 to 15 miles an hour, like coming down a pretty good hill. And I went ass over tea kettle. And, and of course, in the, in the ultimate wonderful irony, the little slice of metal that had been the thing that held the sissy bar on had this amazing sharp, like 16th of an inch edge on it. And I totally cut my leg up and from, from my, like, like the top of my thigh down to halfway down my shin. And Melissa was not there. Well, there you go. Thank goodness for small favors. Yes. She didn't get to see you flip it. But sissy bars, I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with that term. You're talking about the bar that goes from the uh, the steering column of your bicycle yeah, the, back the, to the The, the, the seat. irony is, like, this this sounds like something straight out of Freud. The sissy bar is the bar on a on a boy's bike. It's, yeah, the co- what, it's like the cock extension from the seat to the stem. Yeah, but the, 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 I don't know why it's called that, but I would imagine, I have done this many times, you fall off the seat and you land on that bar and it hurts. Gliven! Yes. Many it's, times I've done that as a child. Yeah. Still hurts. Yeah. It's kind of ironic. Zero droogs. Yeah, the, so during during your whole uh, journey through your toadstools, yes, the one abiding sort of related feeling I have during all those things, getting back to smoking from earlier, is I, it, you know, this is why you would never have been friends with me during that time. If I was with you, I would mostly be angry at you and telling you why you, what you're doing is stupid. Which part? All of it. <laughs> like the trying pot for the first time everything part? but mostly mostly starting with the smoking that's when i would have started because <laughs> that that God, i feel like you're 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 amazing you're you're like a, a, a pattern matcher for non-important things the smoking was very minor very minor no no it's not minor at all not really not minor at all like so tell me more yeah in all of the uh sort of clinical health education about all these different things oh, stds drugs, it's the gateway for the gateway drinking no no that was that was if, again if that pitch was made to me it was not landing okay. um okay just based on all the things we were told it seemed pretty clear to me that like in scoping the problems especially since i basically didn't know anybody who did any of these drugs they were describing it was like all abstract like i've never met anyone who did heroin i've never seen anyone i've never seen heroin never seen anyone did heroin i don't know anyone who's even seen heroin in real life same thing with lsd all this other stuff it's like all right well fine it's an abstract thing but that has no relation to my life um but all the other things they discussed drinking of course i'd seen people drink and again like you can scope that out and say well lots of people drink most people are not addicted to alcohol alcoholism is a problem it can run in families uh, there are risk factors for it. Keep this in mind. But in general, most people can drink and they're okay, right? But here are the warning signs if, you know, the, the whole nine yards, right? So drinking, I feel like I had a handle on. Smoking, though, was this was this special, special snowflake. Hmm. Because it was a thing that even though most people in my life didn't do, I knew a lot of people did. I mean, you have all the stats. You'd see the people smoking movies still at this time. You know, when I was a kid, but you'd like, see like people. people in your community, like people you loved. People in my a, in my immediate family didn't smoke, but people in but like people you, you loved and admired in your family might sm- like family in like the social groups around you might smoke. 
Not, I mean, not really. Like, I knew some of my what? friends' parents. You're some of my about, friends' what are you talking parents. About, like the early '80s. Yeah. Well, no, no one in my family. Oh my uh, well, there's like like one person in my extended family, including aunts and uncles and grandparents and great aunts and great uncles. Like one person. So smoked. weird. There weren't a lot of people who smoked around, and I had friends okay. whose parents smoked, and I assumed they had grandparents smoke, but it wasn't it wasn't that close up to me. But but I knew that you know nationwide and worldwide, smoking was almost as common as drinking. Like it was not a rare thing, right? Um, and the other thing I knew about smoking is that unlike drinking, there are pretty much unequivocal bad health effects of it. Even if you don't get lung cancer, so right, many, right, even right. if you don't get emphysema, like just regularly doing it at any reasonable level for your entire life is just horrendous for you. Like there is no, it's not like, well, you might become an alcoholic or you might just enjoy wine your whole life. Like there was no, smoking, it was not like it was a hundred percent chance that this was going to make your health worse. And there was some non-zero chance it was going to give you a slow and painful death in several various ways. And it was incredibly common. And I would look around and say, all these things that we learned about, I don't see anyone doing heroin, but that seems like it's bad news, right? Or crack or whatever. But, but I see everybody smoking and everybody knows and agrees at this point in my childhood that it's not a good thing to do because it is bad for your health. Like, it's not like, well, I can smoke and I might be one of the unlucky ones for whom smoking has a detrimental effect on my health. No, it's going to have a detrimental effect on your health. It's just a question of degree, right? And there is no upside to your health. It's not going to make your health better in any way if you're lucky. Like, it was just flat out a bad thing. And on top of that, it's like, all right, given this, that everyone knows it's going to be bad for your health to some degree, it might kill you in some pretty horrible ways. Um, why the heck are all these people doing it? And the answer to that, also provided by health class, is, well, it's surprisingly addictive. Uh, and it's not just addictive in a kind of like, it's a habit that I form, although it is that, you know, you just get used to doing this particular thing. It's addictive in the way that even if you could break the habit, like you could break, like chewing on your nails or something, there is a chemical component of it that makes you want to do this. And if you try to stop doing it, it will be much more difficult than stopping chewing your nails. And already stopping chewing your nails is pretty hard, Right. And this has another component on top of that that makes it very difficult to get. And in fact, many people who smoke would like to stop smoking, and they try to, but they can't because it's really hard. And again, why is it hard? Go back into all these facts. And it seemed like the most insidious, terrible thing on the entire planet is like, oh, God, all these people are out there, are addicted to smoking, wish they could stop and can't, and right. it's going to, to make their health worse and possibly kill them. <laughs> this seems like the worst thing ever. And legality and illegality doesn't come into it at all. And it just, uh, again, of all the things they described, yeah, crack is bad and everything, but I, in my life, I didn't have any encounters with that. So it seemed like, okay, well, that is ter- really terrible, but it's also relatively rare yeah, in the grand scheme this is more like a things. clear and present danger. Like, it could right, be it's like, it's like Bill Gates going after malaria. It's like, well, let's just pull back, and I've got all this money. How can I do the best good in the world? It may not be glamorous, but malaria kills a lot of people. Like, it, it, it makes it up in volume. Like, it's not the, the world's <laughs> biggest problem, but so many people have problems, right? So smoking is not like the world's... You know, it's not, it's not a, a Ebola. It's not crack cocaine. It's not heroin. But so many people do it, and all these people who who do this, if you ask them to a man in their heart of hearts, or to a woman, to a person, you ask them and say, "Do you wish you had not started smoking?" Like by the time they're fifty, they're all going to say, "Of course," because I wish I could stop now, but I can't. And if I could go back in time, what decision would you make? None of them are going to really truthfully tell you. If I could go back in time and I could do it again. 100%, I would totally start smoking again. Best decision I ever made. Every single one of them regrets it. Whether they're going to admit it or not, obviously people are going to be stubborn and say, I've had never any problems with it. It's the best thing in my life. Smoking comforts me, blah, blah, blah. Bottom line is, it, again, it is detrimental to your health. You reach a certain age, you realize 
your health is important and you re- and your doctor and everyone else will tell you and you'll realize yourself as you hack up something every morning when you wake up you start your morning by hacking up phlegm or whatever you can do like potentially this could kill me small chance but it could uh right. and even if it doesn't it's, it's making my life and my health worse and so it just seemed like a such a sl- incredible slam dunk that smoking is the stupidest thing you could possibly do with your entire life everything else they were talking about it's like well, the experiment with LSD, smoke pot, it's not addictive. You're not going to get lung cancer as much from it. And, you know, and the illegality kept it rare. So it wasn't, you know, like everything else. And again, crack, rare. It's so terrible that, you know, it's sort of like an epidemic that kills its host. It's going to burn itself out or whatever. It's not like you're going to be signing up for a lifetime, a lifetime as a supposed functioning citizen doing crack every single day. That's not going to work out for you. That, that will burn itself. Same thing with meth and, and heroin. That will run its course faster. And in many ways is more merciful than the long, slow death of smoking, which is legal sanctioned. Everyone nods and winks at it. And they just kind of say, maybe you shouldn't start doing this, but we realize everybody can. And once you start, you're going to be addicted for the rest of your life. Congratulations. Welcome to our society. And it just seems so incredibly inane to me. So right. the thing that, that really got to me was, you know, when I was young, of course, nobody smoked. I would never start smoking because, again, it seemed like the worst decision a human being could make in their entire life because of this prosaic evil of it. Right. And none of my friends really smoked. I saw some people smoking, you know, out in the courtyard or whatever. But I would say, boy, those people have made terrible choices and they will regret it. I'm sure all those people still smoke and I'm sure they all regret it. It was dumb. Um, the thing that really killed me is getting back to your cousin who you saw smoking pot. And you're like, oh, what was his name? Davey or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, right. right. How, how can you smoke pot? Was I think like senior year towards the tail end of senior year, a, a bunch of people I knew who were like friends or friends of friends from like the cross country team. Uh like running friends i would say and you know close friends who are friends with running friends and i was on the cross country team as well took up smoking and i was like guys 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 come on we're we're on we're on the cross country team we run that's the sport we're doing right. <laughs> like so right right, right, right. it's, it's smoking like a perfect is the thing and you were the smart people we're in all the AP classes for screwing this up yeah we're, we're in all the ap classes together we're yeah. almost done with high school we're not trying to impress anybody we're going off to college we do not trying to fit into any click we're not smoking to be cool what is it that's broken in your head that's making you decide at this point, now yeah. is the time to take up smoking? And I wanted to kill all of them. I wanted to, say, I wanted to shake yeah. them and say, what in the hell are you doing? You're almost done. You're out. You're free. You're a runner. You're, you're in peak physical condition. We have parties weekends and everyone drinks and we don't drive drunk and we get like everything is all fine and you're going to start smoking? And oh my God, that was the most depressing thing ever. And that, I think, that combined, you know, like maybe I wasn't so adamantly against smoking because I just accepted, well, you know, these adults who are dunces, they, maybe they didn't know this when they were a kid, well, or maybe it wasn't known that smoking was bad for you, or so on and so forth. But our generation, uh, these all smart kids that are my friends, right. we're never going to do this. And to see it happen to them, that was like, this is terrible. And it, not to the degree of like, oh, smoking should be illegal. It just seemed like it seemed like people should be smarter to not do that. So when I hear people like you go through this whole history and not even mention smoking, it's like, oh, it's not a big deal, whatever. You know, I'm not addicted to it. I have a cigarette every once in a while, blah, blah, blah. Like It's just like... It just boggles my mind that it goes, it, that it's beneath yeah, mention. Yeah, but I mean, I, I feel like it's almost like something, like, I wish I knew more about destiny, because I feel like there's an analogy here somewhere, where, like, the problem The problem is that there's, like, this XY axis, where, like, they're, like, oh, God, why am I into this? Because, like, like, so you say, like, oh, well, if I drink this 40-ounce malt liquor, I will be super drunk, and everyone will know it. But like with this with this um, cigarette thing, it's much more personal. It's much it's much smaller. It's much more subtle. It's much more like this little 
tiny little like nanoblast at this one little nerve center, right? And so like the trouble is that that's that that's what makes it hard. Like that's how <laughs> that's how it works, right? Yeah, like, I mean, again, that would be fine if the, if it was chewing on toothpicks or twiddling pen caps or whatever, but this little thing that you're going to form a habit of is not going to make your life better. Like it's going to make your health worse. Like it is going to, and it may possibly kill you. And it just seems yes. like the worst trade-off yeah. possible in the history of the world. And here's the thing: the people who I know, a lot of people who sort of smoked casually but never really got addicted, or like made figured out a way to get it out of their life, mostly, right? Um, and even that, it's like, you're si- why are you even signing up for that? Because I can tell you, as someone who's never started smoking, I have no urge for a cigarette. I never think about a cigarette. I never think about that little blast. Right. Uh, and and I this is a conscious choice of saying. If you had started smoking, you would be thinking about that. Is that something you want to be thinking about for the rest of your life? Even if it's like just a low level, like fending off type of thing. It's the- yeah, but like, so my pushback on this is like, you are a, with much love and affection and respect, you're a like historical, like blue pill man. So like, you're always going to be the guy who goes like, oh, the blue pill. Like if I have to take a pill, let it be the blue pill. Let it be the one that keeps me in the thing i understand the problem is like there are people out there uh, wasn't, who that are, the, wasn't that the red pill i lost your matrix analogy is the one where you you're trying to say i'm the person who would want to know what the matrix is or the person person who wants to just go back to not knowing that i'm in the matrix well i might be mangling this but whatever pill it is that keeps you in the matrix matrix and everything i think that's the blue pill no that's not the one i would take i would always want to know what the actual reality is i don't think you do Oh, I definitely do. Definitely do. Hmm. Okay. All right. All right. I mean, but, you, but you're saying like I, I, I will. I think you're. I think your nascent your nascent curiosity and your ability to be open to like. Okay, so let's imagine that it's The Walking Dead, and you go out on some kind of an adventure, and there's a plus or minus thirty five percent chance that like you're going to lose a limb on this encounter. Like, I don't think that's you. I don't see you going out there and going like, like, uh, this could be a great thing for the community. Mm, I'm game. I see you being more like, I'm going to hang back here because this is like the known thing. Well, you got to do what you got to do. Ideally, you do not put yourself in a situation where you are forced to take a 30% chance of losing a limb. But if it comes down to it, you got to do what you got to do. Okay, but but also, I just want to clarify that like I am neither a giant fan of nor cheerleader for the red pill person because God damn it, we America has had enough of the red pill person. I think you're getting the colors backwards still. Google it. <laughs> I don't know, maybe you're right. I don't know. I gotta look it up. Well, but but like whatever pill is that's like, hey, I'm game. <laughs> I want a chimichanga with extra peppers. Like that, we've heard from you. Like we're we're fine with you. It's just that, like, uh, God, I don't know. Yeah, your uh, red red pill is telling the truth, and blue pill is the. You take the blue pill, the story ends. Yeah, you yeah. wake up in your bed. Yeah, I don't. But I still don't see how this this uh, this uh, connects back to smoking. I'm not making the connection there. <laughs> okay, continue. We're only just, just for what it's worth. We're only at hour three. So I know, well, no, I'm yeah, fine. I got nowhere to be. We had a big thing about pop culture. It took a long my time. wife just texted me the two words. All good? Question mark. 
Yes. Uh, now, now you should select the appropriate emoji response. Anyway, that the smoking thing and like everything else you've described, like uh, the other ones, I feel like are are not as insidious because because of all the ancillary baggage, like heroin or crack cocaine, like burnt meth, burn themselves out faster because they are so illegal and demonized. You have to be at you have to have reached that point somewhere in your life to decide this is the thing you're going to do. Um, you have to get you have to either be a real sort of like let me test my limits type of person to find out is it really true that everybody who takes crack cocaine gets addicted to it or is it just like that's the thing people say to scare you away and i'll be right, fine right sure, right sure, sure, right so yeah. you either have to be that type of person or you have to get at the point like where this is the only good thing in your life and meth is the only re- the only five minutes you feel alive or whatever. you know like that's those i feel like are off in a corner so i don't I don't, I don't think they're as as big an issue or a problem. And everything else you're talking about, psychedelics and the, the pot or whatever, it's like no one is you know on the street because they're massively addicted to LSD. Like it's not, it, it right. doesn't, it you know, like again, it, it's like a, like a recreational thing that has parameters. There's a legality aspect of it that you may or may not be able to navigate depending on whether you're white, um, you know, like whatever. That's and and I feel like that's just like it, it's that's just like drinking where it's like. In fact, drinking is probably more dangerous because, again, much more addictive than so many other things that that are out there. Um, but that you can navigate. That is not. I'm gonna say a death sentence because obviously, but it is not like it's not a life sentence. It's not you're, a life sentence. You're a cleric. You are a cleric. It's it's not a life. It's not a life sentence to like you are not signing up again. Like you talk about a thing of signing up for a lifetime of doing it. Oh, that's more of a medical thing. Like you are vol- voluntarily signing up for a lifetime of having a monkey on your back, right? Maybe right. a tiny little monkey that who cares and you just flick it away and it's kind of annoying. Or it may be a monkey that you literally cannot dislodge from your back ever no matter what you do. I mean, we all know those people who desperately want to quit smoking their whole life and can never actually pull it off, right? And they try and they do it with all sorts of programs and they succeed for a little while and they go back to it and it's, sometimes they just accept that they're always going to smoke but then they take another run at it. It's like, it's it's just a terrible slow motion tragedy. Right. Um, and that's why I think it is the worst thing out of out of all of the the house of drugs and stuff like that. Um, and that's why in all these stories you're telling, you're thinking I'm going to be uh, like shocked by your, your well, more amused by your scraping your poison off the, the, the psychedelic, uh, all natural psychedelics and you stuff know, like, like, we, uh, we had, whatever. you know, we had razor blades. So I know I'm saying like, you got the tools for the job. It's kind of like, <laughs> I kept thinking of it as like that, that, uh, that sushi that you have to like, the fugu or whatever you have to cut out the poisonous part and every once in a while <laughs> right, someone right, dies because right. the chef does a bad job at least you're doing it yourself then you're like packing your own parachute but <laughs> you know you know i'm no one to blame but yourself if you get a little bit of the cyanide a little cyanide never killed anybody yeah. well you know yeah hmm. anyway that's where i'm coming from and you can imagine what i think of all the people who if someone's going to say i voluntarily chose to take meth and here's why i'm going to defend it as a, as a life choice that i don't regret it's like well I'm gonna okay have to so even as I'm trying to avoid the whole like strip mall idea of like enlightenment via drugs in the eighties, I am also trying to avoid calling you on the carpet here of like, I'm trying to understand like when you became deeply vulnerable because you needed to learn more in your, I, I know I'm mean, trying to look for that. I, I'm not like, I'm trying to think of it as well. I, I'm not well, sure uh, that's a, you know, I'm not trying to push too hard, but like, but like for me, like that was like a crucial part of who I was, was like, I was like, uh, like I never even qualified for a Rocky movie. Like I was always like, just, uh, like 
what's going to happen in the next like three weeks. And so like, that's the way you grow up in Florida. But like for you, like the problem is like you end up sounding like somebody I think you're not. You end up sounding like somebody who's part of the empire. And like, you've got an idea about how things work. And well, but is there some part of what I've said that, that you disagree with factually? Like, am I am I no. making am I making a factual error that be, based on lack of experience? Well, I think you're a little bit obsessed with smoking, which is totally understandable. And and like the thing is, what I'm trying to avoid is like turning this into a like sideshow about like where do we put our fingers? Where does like Saint Thomas put his fingers into, <laughs> into John's wound? I don't want to do that. But at the same time, there's a part of me that says like, hey, look, dude. You've given us a very sanitized, like, paladin view of being a searcher and smart guy in your late teens. What I'm trying to figure out is, like, when were were you vulnerable? Even if you never did LSD, like, when did you have a dark night of the soul where you went, "This this is bigger than me? I've got to figure this out. Like, did you never have that moment? Did you ever well, not, like, not like, involving would... not involving like uh, drugs or other substances? See, oh. but the drugs are like a that, that's uh, that, like that's I neat. yeah. No, some I, I, of course everyone has those things. Like, we've talked about them on past shows, mostly around interpersonal relationships and like how am I going to navigate the world of other people? You know what I mean? Like that. But but again, no. Do you ever have a night where you felt like shut out by the people around you? You felt like. Yeah, it's like all of adolescence. Like, yeah, totally. Yeah. But then okay. the, from that place, I never went to, therefore, I should... Like, none of those things I described were one of my coping strategies for that. My coping strategy for that was more of uh, obsessive, spiraling, depressive thoughts. Like, the typical, you know, like, you just you dwell on it and turn okay. it over in okay. your mind, right? All right? But never going to, like... And, and again, all the, all the thrill-seeking stuff and, you know, the jumping off, that was not related to that at all either. Um, so it's unrelated to the topic of drugs or anything like that. It was just, it, that is a separate, separate entirely psychological, emotional thing. But yeah, and I think we've had past shows on, on those similar topics. And that is definitely, you know, that's, that, defi- that defines my entire childhood. But like, at the same time that was going on, um, I could still look at other aspects of, of the world out there and have these other feelings about them. Like that was, you know, it was much, it was much more cut and dried and, and it was sort of like, I don't know. I didn't, the closest I came to having, you talk about your, uh, psychedelic experiences. Yeah. The closest I came to doing that was like my little things that you would think in your head as you're drifting off to sleep when you're a kid you all had these things, right? Like you just, you dwell on things that like only, I guess only a kid would think about, mm-hmm. right? I don't know what age I was thinking about these things, but one of my favorite ones from, I don't I guess I was probably like late single digit ages. I don't remember. Um, that lasted me for years. It was essentially like a little free psychedelic drug coming from someone who's never taken psychedelic drugs. So I have no idea. But, but anyway, a free thing that you could do with your brain that would freak me out. Um, and the cool thing about it was it would freak me out reliably. Like, as in, you do think of it the first time, like so many ki- things you think of the first time as a kid, and you're like, whoa, I've never had that idea before. But then you think about it two weeks later, and it's like, yeah, I, I already thought about that, right? This one, like, you wouldn't build up a tolerance. It would just keep working. Right. Um, and I'm sure it's a common one that a million people have had, just like everyone's had the flying dream and the teeth falling out dream and blah, blah, blah. But this is a waking thing. 
Um, and I th- sometimes I take it out now and I try it out. It doesn't work as well because I'm old and grizzled and tired. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I, sometimes I try to get it to work again, like a toy, like you can wind it up again and it will work. Um, but it was, this is many levels deep in the stack, as you would say. But eventually, <laughs> uh, because I spent a lot of my childhood, this is a topic for another show, I spent a lot of my childhood trying to figure out how the world works and what the, what the limits are. Um, I should put that in the notes so I don't forget it at some point. What is that from? Oh, uh, world limits. Just type world limits. Um, okay. Anyway, somewhere deep down in the stack of thinking about that, I had eventually gotten to the point where I was thinking about why there is something instead of nothing. Like in the universe. Like Ooh. you could say why there's matter, why there's energy, why there's something instead of nothing. And what I would try to do is imagine what if there was nothing instead <laughs> of something. Right. And if there was nothing there would be nothing forever because there would be no something to cause there to be something that would just be nothing. Why is there something instead of nothing? And you would make a terrific medieval monk. Yeah, no, because eventually you go down, like it's just just a thought experiment. It's like, yeah, no, you know what I mean? And what I I would do is what I would dwell on is the state in which there is nothing instead of something. What I would, I would try to put myself in the headspace of what if there was nothing. And I would try to get to that nothing place. Nothing place, by the way, was always white for whatever reason. Always, always, absolutely, hundred percent white. Sure, the opposite of space, I guess. Doesn't make it. anyway. Doesn't make sense. That it would be white because where does the light come from? Anyway, how um, how old are you at that point? Like I said, I think single digits, late single digit ages. And I would just spend time in bed, like putting myself in the the, the if there was nothing instead of something, and it would freak me out, and my like my, my heart would flutter, and my hairs would stand on end, and I would be in that entire white place. And I would think about the fact that if there is nothing, there will never be anything. But it wouldn't matter because who's there to observe that there's nothing? So it's fine. Ah, uh, so default nothing. Ah, uh. it would just yeah. Anyway, I I, uh. I can still feel it a little tiny bit if I try to go there. But I spent years on the the something. Yeah, you know, I knew it was, it was not a, a fruitful avenue of thought. It right. was just a fun thing to do with your brain to give yeah. you a little. And it's kind of like this is the last thought I'm ever going to have type of thing. Like it doesn't really uh. make sense. If, it doesn't really make sense if you examine it. But it is a thing. And and with the repetition, this was like manual repetition. Like I would do it myself uh, during the you know. To, while drifting off the bed is a fun thing to do. That's probably as close as I've done psychedelic <laughs> drugs in my life, as far as I know. Right. So, like, what I'm getting at is, I it wasn't, I you know, you were stretching yourself, uh, trying to expand your horizons. Maybe not looking for something, but just you know, like your college education, like whatever. Um, I had those same instincts. They just found different outlets. So in in retrospect, there's the part of us that looks back and goes like, oh, we're, 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 you know, I'm this guy doing this thing. But like there's the part of you that knows like there's the secret dumb part of you that's like always knowing your reach should exceed your grasp, right? Kind of like you're like, ah. So like I guess what I'm trying to figure out is like in your high school years and beyond – and I don't want to like beat this to death, but like, how did you know? Like, like when you were trying to figure out, like, how will I know my superpower? Like, didn't you ever wonder to that? And you ever you ever wonder, like, like ah, how will I be tested and know that this is my superpower? I think at that stage, mostly what I was thinking about is how do I make sure I'm able to keep myself alive, like to, to be a success, to have a successful life, like to, to, I, I, right. I spent a lot of time worrying about that I would be able to do the basics. 
uh, have a job that makes enough money to feed, <laughs> feed and clothe myself and provide health care. Right, right, and right. it sounds stupid. It's not like people who don't have this anxiety be like, <laughs> No, why? but it's a, like it's an why? ongoing theme in why, your yeah, stuff. Why, why would you even be thinking about that? If, like, I never took it for granted. Even though, like, there's no reason I, you know, brought up without any, you know, uh, I was never deprived of anything. I was, you know, upper middle class. You know, it's like everything was fine. Like, I'm not like I'm coming from the Great Depression. I'm like, oh, I'm always going to worry about where my next meal is coming from. Nope, right, nope, right. not at all. It's just 100% on me, my personality. So I spent a long time like I wasn't like what is what great thing am I going to do in my life? Like I did and as I was young, I was thinking about what great things will humanity do that I would maybe like to help out with. I spent a lot of my childhood sussing out parameters of the world and what humanity might do and what the, what the world really is. And then as I got older, I was like, all right, this is what the world is. Um, how am I going to make my way in it? And I was very worried about that like it seems a stupid thing to be worried about because i had the total support system and like every advantage and of all the people in the world who should be worried about how they're gonna it doesn't make any sense but nevertheless that's what i spent a lot of time thinking of and and that's why i wasn't thinking of how am i going to figure out what my superpower is or what thing am i going to be great at because i didn't think i was going to be great at anything i was just <laughs> i was hoping like you have to be good enough at something to survive right. <laughs> and you know uh which is a strange idea to have in your head while at the same time obsessively learning all sorts of skills and obscure knowledge and whatever that are going to eventually give you that job that will let you uh, make your way in life. <sighs> yeah. You're uh, you're not a comic guy. If you're a comic person, you, you, you know, you think about this stuff. Like, what is my power? What is my thing? What, like, what will I do to, like, help the team you know what I mean? Like, you never thought about that. Well, I mean, not until much like my hypercritical post that kicked off the whole hypercritical thing. I forget what year, 2005-ish or something like that, was a time when I was looking back, not mostly in, in a self-deprecating way, to realize all the things that I thought I was good at, I was actually not good at. And, <laughs> and the one thing, the one skill that was that I was using as a, as a crutch to mask all those other things is... Like And the thing, you know, looking back on the short, early part of my adulthood, it's like, what is it? Is there a theme running through everything that you've enjoyed doing or seem to uh, be good at or excelled at? What is the core competency here? Um, what is the thing that you find in yourself that you don't see in other people a lot? When you talk to other people. What is the what is the gap in understanding? Why you know, we're having it right now about the whole drugs thing is like, what what is it that that seems that informs the way you think about things but when you try to relate to those people they're like what are you even talking about that's not how i think about that at all right right um right. and that's yeah. that's the whole hypercritical premise like i realized that as a as a theme running through things. something that came very naturally to me that was underneath everything that i was doing that was that was less common in other people or that other people didn't place value on or didn't uh you know uh uh nurture or uh you know that that it seemed it's it's tied up in the rationality part uh we've discussed in past shows but it also seemed different than other people and so that that's i had identified that but that's retrospective not looking forward like like the comic book thing of like what's my power going to be am i going to be super strong can i change into a bucket of water uh <laughs> like uh you know or do i just uh, control the weather or uh can i run really fast or do i just get dressed up in a big uh, suit of armor <laughs> Sorry, Iron Man. You're just a pilot. 